You're tuned in to episode 91 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So I'm realizing uh, we didn't we didn't plan on on who's going to pick up this bit when oh, Phil's yeah. gone. So, you know, I think what I'm going to do this week is just say, uh, I mean, thank God Phil's not here, right? <laughs> First off, yes. <laughs> one, one, two start, yes. Um, yeah, so I mean, and two, and no kale either. So, I mean, for me, I feel like almost 100% of my stressors on this show are gone. So I'm looking forward, I think it's going to be a good time, guys. I agree. Uh, I think with, you know, with Kale being gone, because he's so far away, it's almost like you never know what, what could have happened to him. Like, he's in a place <laughs> right now where he doesn't even have internet. Where the hell are you on earth? Where you don't have internet. New we, Zealand. He's incommunicado. We don't know where he is. Real talk listeners, Kale could be dead right now. We wouldn't even know. Where in the world is Kale Ward? <laughs> where no? Who, who knows? Who knows? Um, I will say, though, I would play that, that educational computer game. Yes, he's been some, I He's would. been in some pretty interesting spots, you know? <laughs> and he's just grumpy about it. <laughs> I know. That's like my thing with Kale's like, all right, you know, and I know this is a comic book podcast, not a tear down all of the other people on this show podcast. Uh, what do you got so much to complain about, Kale? You're on the adventure of a lifetime over there, all right? I'm fucking sitting in New Jersey. It's cloudy as fuck outside. He's living he lives in a postcard. <laughs> it's such a romantic story, guys. <laughs> it's so amazing. Unbelievable. Why are you being so sarcastic? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because the person who is living such a romantic life is always complaining about it. Woe is me. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag woe is Kale. <laughs> <laughs> so if you uh, if you happen to spot Kale, there are plenty of ways you can tell us uh, where you've seen him. And kick Get him in the shin. On. Yes, kick him in the shin while you're there. Don't don't hurt him too much. Just do something that'll give him a reason to just be more grumpy. You know, like, <laughs> I was that's annoying. Say, I was gonna say just like lightly hit him and incapacitate him so that we can come and find him wherever he is. <laughs> I don't want to come and find him. Uh, but if you find him, you can hit us up on Apple Podcasts, five star rated show. Let's keep that going. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud and all those other great podcast hosting platforms. And if we're not where you want us to be, let us know so we can be. We are at the Comics Pals all over social media. Check us out over there. You can write in at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, we're on YouTube where you can like this video, share it with your friends, drop us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. Those subscribes are free to do. They help us out a lot more than they cost you. So head over there and do that. Hit that notification bell to make sure that you get all of our content when it drops. Uh, just a couple programming things, stuff happening in the Pals uh, Network. Want to let you guys know about we've got the Batman Gothic uh, book club dropping in just a few days. It's all yeah. out on the 27th, right, Marco? Yep, this Friday. This Friday. So uh, Batman Gothic is a classic. If you've not had the opportunity to check it out, now would be a great time to do so. You can find it pretty cheap, uh, various different places. So uh, head over to your local comic book store because we support those and pick that up. Uh, in addition... I'd like to say a happy, happy birthday to hey. Matt Murphy. 
Uh, <laughs> actually, it should. Uh, those weren't claps. Those are actually faps. Oh, okay. Well, I don't. I didn't sign on for that. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, that's their job. They're the NSFW yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what What's a great gift for Matt Murphy? Nothing that I can say on the air without breaking my rule about not becoming NSFW. Okay. What's a great <laughs> comics gift? Okay, furries. a comics gift. Also furries. A book about furries? Like, yeah. Is there a comic called furries? Because he said a comic gift and you just said furries, Marco. There's furry comics out there. Sonic the Hedgehog number one from IDW. Boom. Huh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I bet Matt likes to roll around at the speed of sound. <laughs> Uh, cool. So if you want to celebrate his birthday, which I can't imagine why you would, he <laughs> is the co-host of the Long Box podcast. So, of course, only after you're done listening to this, you can head over there, check that show out. They're good guys. Give uh, them a subscribe for his birthday. That's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't hurt. Don't turn on notifications, though. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> So, it's San Diego Comic-Con weekend. There's a ton of news, a ton, ton, ton of news. So, for us, it's Saturday morning, right? And so, we've had two days worth of actual Comic-Con news and then a few days of pre-Con news, which means that our show is going to be jam-packed. But, it will not include any information that comes out between Saturday and Sunday. For that stuff, you're going to have to tune in next week. Because we're going to be talking about all the rest of the huge news. You guys know there's going to be a, a big Hall H panel on Saturday right. night. I think it's a DC panel. Um, Sunday, there's going to be stuff too. There's some X-Men stuff dropping on Sunday. Big, big news. You don't want to miss out. So come back to this spot next week for the Saturday and Sunday news. But stay here with us right now because we're going to dive into all of the huge, huge news that's already dropped I feel like this might be the heftiest news list we've ever had. I was like scrolling through this morning. I was like, woof, we, there is like, there is a lot that came out in the last couple days. It's been a week. Yeah. 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 There's, there's an absolute ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, and I absolutely cannot wait to dive into it all. Okay. So we're going to talk in the news a little later about. What's happened with James Gunn? James Gunn has been fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 for some tweets. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes to kick off our news. But that's actually going to serve as a question that I have for you guys. Oh, does that mean it's time for the random question of the week? Yes, in fact, it does. Oh, okay, great. My favorite segment. (laughs) Uh, So... My question for you guys is, given that James Gunn is exiting the Guardians of the Galaxy, what director would you like to see take over and helm that pro- the next project, the next hmm. Guardians? Ooh, uh, uh, um, the guy who did Ragnarok. Taika Waititi. Yay. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah, he has that sort of same visual style where it's very, it's very bright, it's colorful, uh, in terms of the, it's sort of actiony, but still has that comedy flair to it. Um, so there's a lot there that I think is reflective of uh, the James Gunn sort of style that can be translated by Taika Waititi. 
I'm having trouble thinking of somebody that I think has the right tone for it. Because I think what made James Gunn such a good pick was that he is, like, able to do big budget stuff, but it still has that kind of, like, very distinct, um, I don't want to say, like, gritty, but, like, I don't know, like, irreverent kind of style, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, the only other person I can think of in Hollywood that I feel like really achieves that is Edgar Wright. And mm. we know that he obviously didn't succeed within this system. Um, right. So I'm really having trouble thinking of somebody else that I feel like is a good fit for the Guardians. And, like, honestly, I, I kind of want to just dogpile on Marco's pick because I really think it's good. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do that because I think aside from Edgar Wright, I, I can't think of another, like, blockbuster – caliber director that that has that style you know who's the uh oh okay my only other one and this is the one that i would have thought phil would have picked would have been dennis vision like uh the the guy who's gonna be doing dune that that really like like he's the he's the only other one that i would have probably picked that i i can totally see uh like phil definitely uh wanting to helm this so I would have I would have said Taika as well, um, but I do have another answer, and it's a little lame, maybe. But I would love to see <laughs> what the Russo brothers would do with the Guardians, mm. oh. because I know they did they did um what, what was the show that they did Community uh, the Community right, and that's a comedy, and mm-hmm. that's an ensemble. And obviously, we know they can do the darker stuff, but they can also do the fun stuff. In the MCU, we've only really seen them do um, the That's heavier serious. material. Yeah, I'd love to see their their lighter approach and how they would handle that group in a you know in a in a movie that doesn't involve the Avengers. I actually think that's a really good pick too. Um, I they crossed my mind for my pick, but I didn't want to pick them because I figured you guys would be like, ah, come on. Um, but I agree because of that. Uh, because I know, like, I know you weren't really a community guy, but anybody who has seen it knows that, like, the big thing of that show were like the big high concept episodes that they did, where it was like the paintball episode that's yeah. like inspired by yeah. like the old west or Star Wars. They have the Dungeons and Dragons one, and they're these very like action effects driven episodes but they're still super rooted in comedy and like that's guardians so yeah i, I think that they would be a good pick for and sure. the cast too like it, it, it even even in those it was very it was much an ensemble about, cast yeah but like they were they would be able to in, even in those like for the dungeons and dragons episode and spoilers for uh for this but it's basically they're trying to prevent some like some kid suicide um with, by playing dungeons and dragons and oh. Like wow. so, it, it like like they're able to inject that humanity into like the action, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're phenomenally talented. So I think they could they could easily knock that out of the park too. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, well, I, I definitely think that over the next few pro- probably few months, we're gonna hear more about who's gonna take it over. Probably won't be any of those guys, but. Uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about that more shortly. Um, do, we, I, do we know what the, are the Russos doing anything with Marvel after Avengers Four? Not to say that they would do Guardians Three, but are they like done after that? Uh, so there have been no announcements as to what they'll do next. But they're I've doing read Deadly them Class, s- right? Well, yeah, yeah, they're doing Deadly Class, but I've read that they want to take a break. So whether or not they return 
will be interesting. Sure. Yeah, and I think Tyke is doing another Thor, right? So yep. Yeah. Yeah. So let us know who your picks are. Maybe there's somebody we're not thinking of, you know, like an yeah. up and comer, somebody like, you know. I, they they could always pull a fucking weird MCU thing too and like give it to somebody who is more known for directing comedies and just being like, you want to do an action movie too? You know, it's like, it's like Judd Apatow's Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's, let's hit it. Let's hit into our palace polls here. Uh, so this week, Marco chose the new world number one. Yeah, this is by uh, Aless Cott. He is uh, one of my favorite writers. Um, he always does like these weird high concept stuff. Uh, and I wanted to read the uh, the synopsis for this one because it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the United States of America, after the Second Civil War, two lovers meet. One, a straight-edge vegan hacker anarchist boy with a penchant for messing with the state. The other, a chaotic hedonist cop with a reality TV show and a license to kill. This really shouldn't happen, and yet somehow it does. And soon what? the entire state of New California is after them. It's a ballistic sci-fi action romance miniseries in the vein of Mad Max and Romeo and Juliet. Um, so, yeah. That sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I really like Aless. He, like, all of his books are always, he always knocks it out of the park. So I have, you know, the utmost confidence in this. Uh, the artists, I don't know. Uh, Trad Moore and Heather Moore. Um but uh the art looks really really cool it has a sort of um paper goes kind of feel to it um but it doesn't have cliff's sort of dotted style where it looks chalky these are all like straight straight lines and very flat colors so the art's awesome and i can't wait to dive into this um tom Mueller comes back as well uh he's a recurring creator um for covers with ls so okay yeah overall i'm pumped for this it's funny because i saw that this book was coming out and i thought marco will buy this <laughs> yep yeah 100 you pegged me sean <laughs> uh and then marco and pete both chose justice league dark number one yeah um i mean swampy yeah oh. for me it was just like the, the- <laughs> Uh, i just think this is a really cool team like i remember when we 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 talked about the announcement of the book a couple weeks ago i guess or months ago now yeah Yeah, um it just seems like a really interesting lineup and i really like that wonder woman's like the head of it you know like that's um you know i i got really into wonder woman when we like read all that stuff for our book club like way back in the day um like around the time of the movie and like i haven't like read a good wonder woman story in like a solid like year or so so like i'm just like yeah like i'm i'm in the mood for this you know um so i'm i'm very much looking forward to this one i hope it i hope it grabs me and detective chimp dude like that's yep. fuck yes the character that i want to read hell yeah dude i fucking love him <laughs> yeah uh that's going to be a good one i think it's going to be a good one uh that's tinian on that right tinian and uh, uh capullo no. Is is it or is he just doing covers? I'll, I'll I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Uh yeah, Tinian has been on a roll. It's gonna be cool to see him playing in the Justice League sandbox now. He kind of follows Scott Snyder wherever uh Snyder goes. Um so it should be 
It should be a good time. The art is by Raul Fernandez, right? And Capullo's doing the alt cover. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So Raul Fernandez and Alvaro Martinez are credited on art for that one. Yeah, Jonathan Glampion and... um or Glapion, excuse me, and uh, Greg Capullo are doing the the variant cover for number one. Yep. Uh, and Pete, you also chose Amazing Spider-Man number two. Yeah. Uh, so um, for those of you who tuned in to last week's show, uh, I, I know we did our ASM one number uh, number one review. Uh, I've been talking about how excited I am for the book for a while because uh, Ryan Otley of Invincible fame is going to be doing uh, art for this this arc and. Um, you know, he's my favorite artist in the business, and uh, I'm so excited to see him picking up my favorite character. Uh, I am actually in a musical right now. I'm playing drums in a pit for um, the American Idiot musical, so I haven't had a chance to read AS- ASM1, but I've got it literally right here. Uh, with my, I just went to the, the store like yesterday, so I'm very excited to jump into that and catch up for, uh, for number two. I've heard lots of good stuff, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And the art he's been teasing on Instagram has had me, like, just fucking shaking for it. <laughs> the, yeah. do, he's still just doing the, the first arc? Like, we, we just know that he's doing the first arc? We don't know. Okay, like, okay. He, he's on the book right now. And that gotcha. could mean, you know, that could mean he's gone in six issues and they're just not telling us because that sours the narrative of, look, we got Ryan Otley on Spider-Man, you right. know? Um, but who knows? He could do it for years, right? Like, I just don't know because I know he expressed a lot during Invincible that, like, you know, the grind of doing, like, a monthly superhero book at that level. For years. For, like, literally over a decade um, was kind of, like, wiping him out. Um, and I don't know if, like, the very short break he took between them was enough. Maybe it was. Like, maybe he just wanted to go on vacation and chill for a minute. Like, so who knows, right? But I think like something that Sean pointed out when we first announced this was that uh, Invincible dealt with delays fairly frequently uh, during its like run because Otley like took more time for the art and like they had the clout to do that and like you can't do that with ASM, right? Right. But that doesn't mean he couldn't just cut corners, right? Totally. Like, they had the luxury to not do that in Invincible. He could also take breaks, but the book can't take a break. Right. So. They could always use fill-in artists. Uh, over in Justice League right now, uh, they've got Jim Chung, but he's not doing every issue. He's doing like so. There's the arc that's happening right now. He did the very first issue, and then he's back on like the the seventh or something like that. Oh wow! I don't remember exactly what issue he's on next, but or like even <clears throat> or even um. What uh, Capullo was doing, or was Capullo, right, with Wonder Woman, where there was the two different series with the two different artists? No, that was Liam or, Sharp, and uh, oh my god, she's a, she's an incredible artist. I can't remember her name right now, but it was Liam Sharp and uh, a woman. I, I, wow, I can't believe I'm like Bennett. No. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, this is crazy. He's looking but, it up. <laughs> yeah, but carry on. Um, but yeah, so that's something that like you could easily see, right? Like is them like maybe he does an arc and then somebody comes in for like a, a stopgap so he can do something else or whatever. Like, you know, um, but I hope he sticks on for sure because I'm I'm really excited for this run. Uh, and I like the fact that I haven't been able to read it. Like I've been actively avoiding spoilers like as much as possible because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't ruin this for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's... You're gonna you're gonna have fun, I think, with it. 
It's uh based on like what I've already like because like I saw the first page uh already. So like I, I definitely have that already in my mind. I'm like, okay, this seems like this is tailored for like me. You know? Like it <laughs> definitely seems like it's very much like uh okay, okay, here's your Spider-Man. I'm just like, ah, yay. <laughs> it's Nicholas Scott, by the way. Uh, there we go. And she's a frequent collaborator with Rucka. She is a, an absolutely phenomenal artist. Uh, so I chose uh, X-Men Grand Design Second Genesis number one. Uh, this is so Grand Design had two issues that were they were big kind of oversized issues. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it is a book that is essentially uh, a retelling of the X-Men origins, uh, all the, the major events that they've dealt with and been through, put together in a way that is um, that makes it seem like it's one cohesive narrative. Uh, obviously, he's the, the, Ed Pisker's telling stories of that have been done by different writers over decades, right? Mm-hmm. But he's putting them together in a way that makes it seem like it's all a grand design. The package is gorgeous too. It's, that like yeah. it's like a big hardcover. Oh, so nice. Well, yeah, the hardcover version is is, is incredible. Oh, there's um, a normal one too. Yeah, it comes. It comes oh. out. Yeah. So, I didn't know that. I've only seen the hardcover. I uh, thought that was just like, I thought it was just like, oh no, this is like a big event and you got to get the hardcover. No, no. Uh, so, so second Genesis is, uh, you know, the introduction of some of the new, some of the more popular X-Men uh, and, and sort of the, the Dark Phoenix era and all that stuff. So um, I'm super excited to get the next portion of this story. I've sung the praises of this book many times on this show, uh, and it's well worth it. If you are a, an X-Men fan who hasn't read some of the old stuff, it'd be great to jump on. If you're an X-Men fan who has read it all, seeing it presented in this way is super cool. Sean, is that is that stuff going to lead into Shi'ar War? Uh, is that it? What's Shi'ar War? Isn't, uh, isn't that like right after Dark Phoenix? And- oh, yeah. Um, so, probably... Because it's, it's telling everything. So, yeah. yeah. That's my favorite like arc of X-Men ever. So yeah. I'm definitely picking that stuff up. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to this book because that, that's like my favorite era of X-Men, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so just like getting a like brisk kind of read through of just like, ah, uh, like that, that should be really fun. It's well worth it. Dude, I like I came this close to buying the hardcover because uh, I think it was on like free comic book day and like they had like 50% off like wall graphic novels but i already had like a stack of books that were like 50 bucks and i'm like ah, i don't i don't need this i don't need another hardcover <laughs> you're wrong you do need it i know and i regret it <laughs> uh so also pete and i chose doomsday clock number six here we go bro i was so <laughs> excited when i saw you post uh your pals pulls in our thread yesterday and i was like oh fuck i was like i forgot it was next week i'm so excited dude like issue six halfway point you gotta imagine it's gonna be something big uh yeah so i believe this issue they're dealing with uh the origin actually jeff johns talked about this uh yesterday at comic-con oh, okay they're dealing with the origin of the marionette oh nice cool and her boyfriend what's his name uh, uh the mime guy the mime remember. yeah whatever is it name. i don't remember his name though yeah 
I remember. Um, so they're they're kind of diving into that and going to be it's, it's a focused issue on her, similar to the one we got focused on Warshak back in issue four. Um, so that's tight. Yeah, a deviation, but the last time they deviated from the main plot, it was incredible. So I'm sure that's still my favorite issue. Yeah, it was that was something special. So we'll we'll get that Doomsday Clock number six review to you guys somehow, some way. Obviously, next week we'll still be dealing with San Diego Comic Con stuff, but uh, the world stops when Doomsday Clock comes out. Man, that's gonna be another fucking a packed episode. Looking forward that's to right. that. So, uh, let's do let's do our news. We've got a ton, ton, ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to start, like I said earlier, with the James Gunn firing. Uh, so, on Friday, uh, James Gunn was fired as director of Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a decision that was made by Disney. Um, now, the reason is because some tweets... Uh, that he had posted up uh, in 2008 and in 2009 that were very, very uh, offensive and controversial. Yeah. About, there were jokes about uh, rape and pedophilia. Those tweets Some were. guns and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Those tweets like, were, go ahead. It's a lot of like violent, vile shit. Right. Those tweets were brought to light by some conservative uh, personalities, shall we say. And uh, obviously there were a lot of people who didn't know about these tweets and they reacted harshly. And uh, Alan Horn, the chairman of Walt Disney Studios, uh, came out with a statement on Friday saying the following regarding the, the, the situation. The offensive attitudes and statements discovered on James Gunn's Twitter feed are indefensible and inconsistent with our studio's values, and we have severed our business relationship with him. Now, James Gunn did take to Twitter to speak to everything that uh, has taken place uh, and spoke about the the firing as well. Um, So he had this to say. Many people who have followed my career know when I started, I viewed myself as a provocateur, making movies and telling jokes that were outrageous and taboo. As I have discussed publicly many times, as I've developed as a person, so has my work and my humor. It's not to say I'm better, but I am very, very different than I was a few years ago. A few years ago. Today, I try to root my work in love and connection and less in anger. My days saying something just because it's shocking and trying to get a reaction are over. In the past, I've apologized for humor of mine that hurt people. I truly felt sorry and meant every word of my apologies. For the record, when I made these shocking jokes, I wasn't living them out. I know this is a weird statement to make and it seems obvious, but still, here I am saying it. Anyway, that's the completely honest truth. I used to make a lot of offensive jokes. I don't anymore. But I like myself more and feel like a more... Full human being creator today. Love you all. So that's that was his statement on on what happened. Um, and uh, obviously there have been people on both sides of the fence uh, who some agree with the firing, some disagree with the firing. I want to know what you guys think about this. Um... I 
I disagree with the firing, but I definitely understand Disney's position and I definitely understand why. Um, and I, I, I believe Gunn. Like I, I definitely believe what, that he, he means what he's saying in his apology, in his statements. Um, and that, you know, I think the, the last one was from like 2000, the last year was like from 2011. So he's had those seven years, you know, to grow and to change and, to his point, if that was sort of the style and his humor, you know, seven to ten years ago, you know, he's he's grown past that. And I think that we as viewers and consumers of his content can look past that. But if at the end of the day, Disney doesn't, that's also sort of their choice because they do hire him. And um, but I, I would like to see him back at the helm if uh, if they could. And if not, you know, I get it. Yeah, so I, I agree with uh, exactly what Marco's saying. Um, I think from a business perspective, I think, um, you know, like I think this kind of thing is obviously increasingly common in this day and age, right? We're definitely living in a call-out culture right now. Um, and I think for the most part, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I think like there are obviously people who are going to get swept up in that that maybe don't deserve it. And I think James Gunn is one of them. Um, I don't, I don't think that anything that James Gunn, and maybe this is an unpopular opinion. Um, so if, if you listeners disagree, I'd love to hear from you and, and have a dialogue about it. But, um, I don't think that he did anything that was like, quote unquote, wrong, right? Like, do I think that these jokes are funny? No. Would I have said anything like this? Absolutely not. Right. Um, do I think it's right for a man who was in his forties to be making jokes like this? No, I don't. But I also don't think it's right to, to hold people accountable for things that they said 10 years ago in a different time and place uh, like today when they're when they're clearly jokes. You know, right. It's, it's not like he was actually out there doing any of this violent, vile shit. That's not James Gunn. Right. Like and there's no evidence of that. Nobody has come forward and said he's done anything like there are no. There, there's no accusations here other than the fact that he tweeted some offensive shit a couple of years ago. Yeah, and and, and that, me, that would be a different story too. Yeah, right. Like that would be a totally Not different question. story. Yeah. Um, so I don't, and I, I just want to make that position of mine clear, right? I'm not advocating for what he did, but my point is in 2008, in 2009, in 2011, our humor was a lot different. Our culture was a lot different. And I think we all, we way are way too quick to look at things from, you know, a few years ago with the like lens of today and like whatever the opposite of rose colored glasses are, you know, of like, I don't, I don't believe that James Gunn would tweet those things today. Right. And, and I'm sure he's embarrassed by a lot of what he said, you know, but like I, I said this to you guys privately when we were talking about this, I think about stuff that I would have said in 2008 or 2009, uh, behind the anonymity of a screen name, you know, that would, that would embarrass me today. Nothing like this, nothing this, you know, uh, offensive, but you know, like I used to say nasty shit to kids in online video games and stuff like that and stuff that I would be totally embarrassed by today. Or if somebody was able to screenshot it and call me out on it. But like, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't think there's a single person that doesn't have something like that. You know, like we live in a culture where we fucking document like every fucking thing or every thought and everything like that. You're bound to say something at some point that you will regret in hindsight. And I think, like, there's something to be said for, like, 
I don't know, like being a little bit more human to one another. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with calling out and tearing someone down who deserves it. I think that's like one of the the positive things about social media is that you can put people on blast and, you know, uh, potentially make them have some ramifications for their negative social actions, right? Like that's one of the greatest um, things in the modern era, I think, of like to prevent you from doing something is like the the court of public opinion. But I don't I don't think that I don't think that James Gunn should be held accountable today for off-color jokes he made in a way different time and place. I don't think this is anything that, like, you wouldn't hear on, like, an episode of, like, South Park. You know? And, like, I don't I don't think that, like, I don't think that that's representative of him or his character. And I, I do think that the firing is unfair, but um, I understand why. I think even if it wasn't 2018 at the height of our call-out culture, I think he would have been fired because it's Disney. And I think Disney is like the wholesome family, kid-friendly brand, and they don't want to be associated with somebody that made pedophile jokes, you know? Um, and I, I do think this probably would have happened no matter what. Uh, but I also don't know that there would have been like a public outcry about it, which is why I think he actually got fired. Because I'm sure they knew this. You think Disney didn't look at his tweets before they hired him? You know, this, like... This came up in 2000 in 2012 or whatever when he was hired when he like first got on right yeah this came up disney knew people knew this came up he got the job anyway and did the job and people stopped talking about it uh so i i think that we are living in a glass house period of time where everybody lives in a glass house and they're throwing their stones across the street and um you know i i just i just wonder who who are these people who feel so comfortable judging everybody else you know are you are you blameless have you never said or done something that you regret uh i you know i think people really need to think about that uh if james gunn tweeted these same things today yeah he should absolutely be fired there's no place for this uh and 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 hey listen i don't think it's funny at all but if james gunn is is privately making jokes like that among his friends and they're you know harmless jokes in the sense that no one is actually being harmed uh that's his prerogative publicly you shouldn't say things like this you know at no point in history publicly should you be saying stuff like this unless you're actually a comedian um and even then but i i don't think he should lose his job over this uh by any means not today if he because there were ten, it was 10 years ago they people have made the comparison between this and roseanne the difference between what she did and what he did is that she did it this year she did it live in the moment also, you know, I, I feel like that's such a false equivalence because was she like what she said wasn't like some people are being like, oh, it's a joke or whatever, but it was racist. Like it was clearly her being a bigot. Like James Gunn was making like their jokes. They're bad jokes. They're not like funny. They're offensive. But like I like his actions don't speak to the fact that that's actually representative of his character where like that does seem to be the case with Roseanne right now. You know, yeah, and, and and even if they were jokes, which she says they were, sure, okay, fine, they're jokes. The problem is that they were targeted jokes that 
are offensive uh, towards a specific person, uh, towards a specific group of people that she's saying right now in light of everything else that she's done historically. If James Gunn made a tweet in the vein of these today, get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's so that's a big issue that I have with this. And I, I think Disney, they're doing what they feel they have to do. But I think it's very hypocritical given that they already knew that these existed. Alan Horn is, is, is you know, bullshitting, quite frankly, to say that they were discovered. They weren't discovered. You knew about them. Uh, and they, were obviously, re, they were re-exposed. <laughs> right. And obviously, this whole thing was done by provocateurs who wanted to uh, stir stuff up uh, because they knew they could. And well, and also because James Gunn is a outspoken liberal, you know, right. like he's he's a very very vocal critic of Donald Trump on Twitter. Um, so yeah, they saw an opportunity to, to knock him down a peg, and hopefully, you know, have this happen, get have right. him get fired, have him yeah. be discredited. So somebody who has come out in defense of James Gunn is none other than Drax himself, Dave Batista. Dave he, fucking Batista. He tweeted out, I will have more to say, but for right now, all I have to say is this. James Gunn is one of the most loving, caring, good-natured people I've ever met. He's gentle and kind and cares deeply for people and animals. He's made mistakes. We all have. I'm not okay with what's happening to him. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don't know him personally, obviously, but yeah, I uh, I feel like this is just seems unfair, and it's a shame because he's a really talented filmmaker, and uh, you know his relationship with the Guardians is really special, and it's unfortunate that we're not gonna like at least get to see him close out the trilogy that he started, um, and like you know we knew that he was gonna be kind of the. Yep. Kevin Feige figure for the cosmic stuff. And I think that was a really good thing. And, you know, he's uh, one of the few weird, you know, filmmakers that's been able to break into the mainstream and find success. And I think, you know, um, the marginalization of him here is unfortunate for moviegoers, Um, you know, for sure. Yeah. Uh, And it changes marvel's plans it has to change their plans because of everybody that's there all their creators he understood marvel cosmic the best and now what do you do you know without him spearheading it yeah he was the most deeply involved person in the mcu aside from kevin feige and kevin feige isn't a filmmaker you know so it's like yeah it's obviously going to really shake things up which could be, I mean, like, in terms of, like, long-term plans, I don't know that it matters that much. But in terms of, like, Guardians 3, it definitely raises concerns for me. Sure. Uh, my last word is just, um, you know, be careful how much you want to see people get dragged and how far you're willing to take this whole thing. Reconsider the fact that everybody, including yourself, if you're listening, you've got these two uh, skeletons in your closet. And, you know, if you're cool with exposing what other people have done in their past, then you should be equally as cool with that happening to you. And uh, if you can stand that that sort of critique, that laser-focused critique on you and your history, then by all means. But if you can't, stop judging people. Uh, Sean, I thought you were going to end that with, uh, don't make pedo jokes. Oh, well, 
I thought that went without saying. Uh, so that's where, that's where we started this, Marcos. <laughs> uh, so moving on, we've got some other major news. Either one of these subjects probably could be a main topic on their own, but here we are, uh, San Diego weekend. Comcast is officially bowing out of the bidding for 21st Century Fox, leaving Disney as the only suitor, which theoretically allows them to acquire Fox. Uh, Now, Disney made a $71.3 billion offer, and it looks like that's going to go through. Um, uh, Comcast has decided that they no longer want to be involved in this, uh, primarily because, um, or I should say a, a big reason, is because the the courts uh, have allowed AT&T to buy Time Warner. Uh, Comcast wanted to be a major player in these conversations uh, Comcast wants to buy Sky, Sky Sports, which is a huge... Um, it's a British huge, broadcaster, right? Yeah, in the UK. Um, and uh, so Comcast actually is kind of kind of left out in the cold here in this whole situation. Good. <laughs> I fucking hate Comcast. We have a blood feud. <laughs> Personal vendettas aside... Uh, Obviously, this is this is a major deal. Now, I have something special that I want to show you guys right now, and it relates to this all. Check it out. Now, in my hand, I happen to have the shareholders booklet, right? Uh, that breaks down this entire the, the whole Disney proposal. Where did you get for this? Let's not talk about that. <laughs> uh, for the proposed merger with Fox, this is uh, a voter's booklet, so it gives you all the information uh, associated with the vote, and uh, you know you you vote based on what you read in here, uh, and all shareholders have to vote. And I have this in my hands now. Does Sean own Disney? Uh, is, Sean Me- is Sean Mickey Mouse? <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just say uh, you've never seen the both of us in the same place. Oh, my God. You're right. Is that why Mickey Mouse won't come on our podcast? Uh, yes. Uh, so I'm just going to read a, a tiny bit. I haven't had the opportunity to go through this. It's a thick book. If you're an audio-only listener, it's very thick. It's um, really big. Yeah. Now, uh, prior to the completion of the mergers... 21st Century Fox and a newly formed subsidiary of 21st Century Fox, which we refer to as New Fox, will enter into a separation agreement, which we refer to as the separation agreement, pursuant to which 21st Century Fox will, among other things, engage in an an internal restructuring, which we refer to as the separation, whereby it will transfer to New Fox a portfolio of 21st Century Fox's news, sports, and broadcast businesses, including the Fox News Channel, Fox Business Network, Fox Broadcasting Company, Fox Sports, Fox Television Stations, etc., etc., and certain other assets, and New Fox will assume from 21st Century Fox certain liabilities associated with such businesses. 21st Century Fox will retain all assets and liabilities not transferred to New Fox, including the 21st Century Fox 
film and television studios, and certain cable and international television businesses. This is a much, much longer document than what I have laid out. It's extremely thick and hefty. I refuse to read it all. But uh, basically what it's outlining is the way that this separation would work. Uh, New Fox would be what would be left over for Fox after this. 21st Century Fox, uh, based on my understanding, is what what Disney would acquire. Um, And so Fox would keep all their sports business and stuff like that, their news business, um, and Disney would acquire everything else. This means that things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer are now under the House of Mouse. Um, Simpsons, Futurama. Futurama, um, Family Guy, right? Yeah, Family Guy, uh, fucking King of the Hill, even. Um, plenty of stuff. Yeah, there was a. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry, there was a uh, another. There was another report on this that I had read that, uh, in addition to the the proposed merger, if it when and if it goes through, it'll uh, on Disney's end will probably knock off about seventeen hundred jobs, and then for Fox, about twenty three hundred people will be without jobs. So, also a thing. Uh, and I wanted to give uh, Phil the chance here to to jump in on on this stuff. So Phil, take it away. Uh huh. Oh. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh. Uh. What? He's not here. He has no voice. So. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was uh. That was a bit. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So. If there's anything worth talking about in this uh, shareholders document that I've got right here, uh, we will uncover that. I've got my my uh, sleuths pouring over it. My best people are on this <laughs> one. Best, yeah, my best people. Um, so, yeah, this means that we're probably going to see this merger go through. I would say it's highly likely, uh, provided that voters want it, the voters uh, who are the shareholders um, with Disney. If they want it, it's going to happen. And the reason that we're reporting on this is because of how it affects what we do. Uh, it means that the X-Men and the Fantastic Four would officially be back where they belong, presumably. And Certainly me, a roundabout way to get there. but <laughs> Yeah. For me, this is the most exciting thing that's happening. Uh, it's obviously going to affect a lot of other things, some of which may be bad, but I'm into it. Yeah, I'm uh, – this whole thing is just like deeply concerning to me uh, and I've, I've expressed it quite a bit on this show already so I won't belabor the point. But um, monopolies are bad, kids. Uh, it's like – it sucks because I certainly wouldn't want, to, wouldn't want Comcast to have won the bid because anything that grants Comcast more power uh, and more control over media is a bad thing in my mind. Um, and I think down like – Down with Comcast. Fuck Comcast. They're awful. Um, like, I have no no, no bones about saying that. Fuck Comcast and Verizon. They're both bad companies. Um, so, yeah, it's like, do I want Disney to, like, increasingly own more and more and more of the market and become one of the only companies that are capable of making uh, films? No. Yes. Oh. Um, but uh, at, in the same breath, like... I'd certainly rather it be them than Comcast. And, uh, you know, it, it will be nice to see 
the X-Men and the Fantastic Four um, be able to get brought into the MCU and did not see the Fantastic Four treated like the redheaded stepchildren of the MCU or of the of the comic book world anymore. Uh, being able to see, you know, the X-Men in, you know, the next Marvel versus Capcom if we ever get another one. Like, all those things are great and provided, you know, like, this is happening. So I might as well focus on the things that are cool about it. Like, maybe they'll stop letting... F- the, maybe they'll stop letting them make alien movies. Like that would be great, you know. Like so, whatever, right? Like at this point, it's happening, and like Disney does a pretty good jam, pretty good job. Excuse me of managing IP. Um, your results with Star Wars may vary on that one, but uh, you know, like I, I do think that for the sake of these IP, it'll probably be a good move. Um, yeah, you know, for us as consumers, but. Um, yeah, I, I certainly still have my broader concerns about the merger. Pete, I like your priorities there. It's uh, it's allow a company to block a much larger company from becoming a huge conglomerate monopoly or fuck podcast. <laughs> well, okay, listen, it's it's not that simple, all right? Because it's not like <laughs> just because I hate Comcast. It's also that I don't want Comcast to become a bigger, more powerful company. Mm-hmm. Guess I'm Disney's, the a, that's there Disney's for like a benevolent evil that I already know, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the more, the closer we get to the actual vote, once the vote happens, there's going to be a lot more to say. Um, especially once we get our first glimpse or word of the X-Men and Fantastic Four and what all that's going to look like and how they're going to integrate. Uh, we've talked about this at nauseum, but uh, it's it's exciting times we live in from that perspective. Uh, so let's talk about something that is maybe less exciting. Uh, and the first bit of actual Comic-Con news that we're uh, diving into. We now know uh, when the Joaquin Phoenix-led Joker film will release. Uh, the movie now has a theatrical release date of October 4th, 2019. Uh, so, yes, that is a year and change from now. Uh, its official name is Joker. There are some weird rumors about what this movie is going to be about. Now, the hash- that hashtag show is reporting. And, and by the way, they have broken huge stories and been right on a lot of different things that they've talked about. We've reported Especially based recently. on their stuff. Yep. Uh, so, they're saying the following. Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is rumored to begin the film as a struggling comedian by the name of Arthur Fleck, a man who returns to Gotham to take care of his ailing mother, Penny, only to find a city on the brink waiting for him. This possibly is the inciting incident that will drive Fleck to clown-themed madness. The movie is described as an exploration of a man disregarded by society that is not only a gritty character study, but also a broader cautionary tale. That... Okay, fine. Gonna get weirder. That hashtag show also posits that a cheesy, tanned, and rich-looking Thomas Wayne will be in the film. And could, in fact, be the Joker's father. Oh, what the fuck? Fleck's mother, Penny, meanwhile, is described as a very attractive in her youth and obsessed with her former employer. Her former employer being... Thomas Wayne. 
That web, the website further claims that, and this is by their own admission, a crazy rumor, a televised interview with Thomas Wayne could compel Fleck's dying mother to spin the true tale of her son's parentage, further pushing him toward playing cards and purple suits. Additionally, the website reports that Robert De Niro will be playing late-night talk show host Murray Franklin, while Zazie Beetz will play a single mother named Sophie Dumont. Um, Sean, um... I'm out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really stupid. Because, um, like, the first half of that, I'm like, okay. Like, I like Joaquin Phoenix and, like, the <laughs> idea of, like, you know, a, a gritty crime, you know, movie about the Joker or whatever. It's like, okay, that could maybe be cool. Um, adding all this, like, weird familial stuff is just, like, this sounds like, what they used to do in like the like early 2000s with superhero movies where it's like how can we reimagine this and make it you know how 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 can we really add some character drama to this you know like it's like no nah, it just sounds fucking stupid it's stupid and convoluted and it's just like why like why is that the plot <laughs> yeah i think adding thomas wayne as as the joker's father somehow or even him being a sleazy, you know, spray on tan kind of guy is just so far and away not who that character is. Yeah. That it just doesn't, like, why do that? What are you trying to achieve by doing that? It just, I, I don't know. Like, it just seems weird, too. Like, it's like, I, I that just seems like such a strange choice, you know? Like, and who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be compelling, right? Like, Or maybe this isn't true. Sure. That's that true, too. too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Wait and see on this one, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just unbelievable, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sean, are we going to have to watch that? Yeah. yeah. Asking for a friend. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. Tell your friend that uh, we will absolutely be in the theaters on October 4th. We are contractually ob- obligated. <laughs> Uh, so, so we got a teaser for Iron Fist Season 2. Um, it's a very, very short video. I don't know if you guys got the chance to see it. Oh, Kale Ward's going to be? Oh, sweet. I didn't know you got a second season. <laughs> uh, there's not much to it. doesn't really showcase Sounds anything. like a Kale Ward show. doesn't really <laughs> showcase I'm- anything uh, special. There's some fighting. Uh, Iron Fist is fighting some guy in the streets. Um, just beats them down. The big reveal is that the show will debut uh, its second season on September seventh, uh, which is cool. And we also know that Alice Eve will play the villain Typhoid Mary. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and the other the other villain this season will be uh, Davos. So Sasha Dewan will reprise his role as Davos. Uh, who is actually better known in the comics as the Steel Serpent. So those two people will be the primary antagonists for Iron Fist this season, which will see uh, Iron Fist and Colleen Wing becoming the protectors of Chinatown. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The main reason I'm bringing this up, obviously it's a big, this is big news, but what are you guys feeling about this show are you excited at all? You know, man, I'm in a I'm in a really weird place with the Marvel Netflix stuff right now. Like, obviously, Defenders was um, a mixed bag at best. 
uh, I wasn't really crazy about Jessica Jones season two either. And uh, I didn't, I didn't really watch Luke Cage season two. Like I watched like the first episode um, and like just haven't gotten back to it. Not because it like turned me off or anything, but just like, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just like, I, I'm not, I'm not feeling the hype for them. Like I have been previously, you know? Um, I don't know if that is because there were just two underwhelming ones back to back. Maybe Luke Cage will be the slump buster for me. But um, yeah, hearing that like Iron Fist is right around the corner, I'm like, well, I haven't even watched Luke Cage yet. So whatever. What about you, Marco? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in kind of the same boat. I think because we had those sort of two lackluster seasons, one after the other, and then uh, yeah, it, it kind of I lost the interest there a bit. You know, I was I was really high on the uh, on the shows, and oh, now there's just like nothing there for me necessarily. Uh, Cause it, nothing about season one of Iron Fist wants me to come back to a season two, you know. So, like this announcement was just okay. Like he's getting a second season, and I guess that's cool. And I had to Google Typhoid Mary. So, like, all right. <laughs> so for me, uh, number one, Scott Buck, who was the showrunner for uh, Iron Fist season one and Inhumans is no longer involved. He's not involved with this. He's been replaced. That's great. That is great news. I don't care for Scott Buck. Um, in addition to that, I've watched interviews where they've expressed that they have learned from what sort of went wrong with Iron Fist Season 1, and that's positive. In addition to that, I haven't finished Luke Cage Season 2, but I've heard that Iron Fist does make an appearance and that whatever happens redeemed him for a lot of people. Cool. So all of that, and plus Iron Fist is a character I really like in general, all of that makes me feel like, okay, time to give this another chance. Uh, Does that mean that I'm going to be watching every single episode and loving it? Depends on how good it is. But I know that I'll be there at the start because I want to give it another shot, another shot. It's a Marvel Netflix show at the end of the day. I think with any of these shows, there's a chance that it could be great. Yeah. So like, I'll definitely watch it. Um, I think I just like, they, they need to like win me back right now. You know, like I, I've been a big proponent of the Marvel Netflix shows, um, since daredevil. Um, and I still think that like the cream of the crop, like daredevil season one is like, I, I might argue the best superhero adaption, on the bigger small screen, you know, still. Um, and I think like, even like Punisher was recent and that was great. So it's like, not to say that I'm not interested in them anymore, but I definitely, I, I am need not. quality. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, feel I, 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 I need, I need there to be another Punisher like level season for me to, yeah, to get back yeah. on that hype train, you know, and, and be, be the guy uh, you know, shouting from the back of the room, like, you gotta watch this shit! <laughs> sure. Yeah, I I definitely feel that. And uh, who knows, maybe Iron Fist will be the one to do it. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. I mean, realistically, if it's not Luke Cage for me, or it's not Iron Fist, it'll probably be Daredevil Season 3, which right. is right around the corner, you gotta imagine. So, right. so uh, into some comics news spinning out of Comic-Con 2018, We've learned that the Marvel Knights uh, brand of comics is being relaunched and will be 
spearheaded by Donny Cates, who is currently writing Venom. Uh, now let's go. Yeah, that's this a that's tight. a really cool announcement. Uh, Marvel Knights was a uh, a brand that existed in the 2000s, the early 2000s. Um, and I mean, this is well, even before that, uh, because they're celebrating the 20th anniversary. I became familiar oh, wow, with it. Huh. Yeah. I became familiar with it in the, uh, the 2000s. It, that was er- the early years because it debuted, I guess, in 98. So that, oh, wow. Okay. That time frame. Um, and, uh, obviously a lot of great stories came from there. Stories uh, involving Daredevil, uh, Punisher, Black Deadpool. Panther. Um, so uh, it's a, it's a, it's a brand with a name that people associate with high quality, more mature Marvel stories. And I think associating that with Kate's is awesome. Seems like he's going to be in a similar role to Gerard way over at young animal where Mm. it's an imprint that he's curating and will write for. Um, that's deeply exciting. Yeah. Yeah. According to what was announced by C.B. Sobolski and David Gabriel, um, the there are going to be some big creators involved with this, including Matthew Rosenberg, who's perfectly suited for this, Tini Howard, uh, Vida Ayala, um, and the first issue is actually going to be a uh, a, a one shot called MK Twenty Number One uh, that's going to be written by Kate with art by art by Mike Diodato, who I'm a huge fan of. Yo, that's awesome. Yep. Uh, So we don't know what the titles are actually going to be. We just know that this is going to be Marvel Knights and it'll probably focus on similar characters, uh, similar street-level characters like it always has. (laughs) And then also Black Panther. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey. Yeah. Uh, yo, that is exciting, man. I was huge into Marvel Knights when I was a teenager. Um, and I was like, you know, getting into that, you know, like when you get in that era where like you're like, I don't know, at least for me, right? Like I read comics when I was a kid and then like I got back into them as a teenager and was like, oh, I want stuff that's more adult oriented, you know? Uh, and Marvel Knights was perfect for that. It was a perfect in between for me of like, I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man and stuff like that. And I was like, I want more stuff that feels like you know a little bit more for me at this age you know not an all ages book and uh and yeah marvel knights just hit me at the right place at the right time and like i would love love to see uh uh, like this is what i always ask for you know like something that is like a very creator oriented you know like i I, probably like continuity light you know or at least like self-contained um, that's great, man. Like that's a, that's an announcement that has me hugely excited, uh, because, you know, I've made no, uh, bones about it on this show. Like Marvel was always the publisher that I more heavily identified with, you know, like, uh, getting into like DC and even image were like definitely more recent things for me over the last like five to, you know, six years or maybe a little longer than that. Um, but before that it was all Marvel all the time. So the idea um, that, like, I'm interested in Amazing Spider-Man again and they're bringing back Marvel Knights, I'm like, let's go! All right! Yeah, baby! Like, I I would love to read some stuff uh, about these characters that I have more, I'm more invested in, you know? I give a shit about Marvel characters in, a, in just a way I don't 
um, about DC because I don't have that history. Um, uh, the the other little bit of news, uh, at least within this same article, that sort of excited me was the the Miracle Man series that they had announced with uh, mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman and Buckingham kind of kind of coming back. Oh, um, cool! Yeah. Uh, so that was like the the thing alongside with like these other announcements that had me hyped. I'm I'm unfamiliar with Marvel Knights, but uh, you would like knowing, it, I think. Yeah, I, I I think when you guys sort of had mentioned that it was sort of taking that that street level and it was sort of more ma- like a, a sort of mature focus. It gave me the the vibes of um, kind of like a powers, um, and I'm I'm a fan of that. Uh, and Donny Cates, I know. The Longbox boys always talk about him, you know, as being like a, a really good creator. So, yeah, this is something that, uh, I mean, I, I'm i tangentially interested in at least. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned Miracle Man. I wasn't going to bring it up because I didn't think you guys would care. But um, so work is being resumed uh, on this book. Um, Which is like huge. Like this is like has been sitting in limbo for what, like 20 years? A really long time. Like- <laughs> they, they brought... They, they re-released the work that they had done uh, in 2016, um, and they had solicited new issues, and then they didn't come out, and so it looks like it's going to come back in 2019. Uh, when in 2019, we don't know, but they announced that work has resumed, uh, so there you go. I know they like just wrapped up all the legal shit surrounding it like just just a little bit ago so like i remember they had made like a soft announcement of this a couple months back or something like that so yeah this is like that's really cool that it's like finally gonna happen and like i I don't even remember the last time neil gaiman was like actively writing comics you know like so that's pretty exciting too yeah he's had a couple things come out uh the most recent one is a a study in emerald that i picked up maybe like two three weeks back uh that's pretty good all his all his comic stuff of late has been more indie focused, not mm-hmm. really, you know. But I think there's an American Gods comic book that's been coming yeah, out. There, there is one. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're um, totally right. <clears throat> yeah, so a lot of his stuff has just been more low key. Uh, so that's not the only brand that Marvel is resurrecting because Marvel's What If is making a return. So what if... I'm so excited, Sean. They're speaking <laughs> to me. They're speaking to me. Uh, what if is traditionally a concept of uh, examining alternative outcomes for famous storylines or different versions of characters that we're super familiar with. Uh, over the last few years, I guess since I've been alive, um, or since I've been reading comics, I should say, Marvel's What since If Since you've has- been alive. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel's What If has traditionally focused on, you know, at the end of an event, uh, what would have happened if Captain America won the Civil War or, you know, whatever, st- stuff like that. They did have a couple good random ones. Like, I remember there was that one uh, that I, I really liked that was like, what if Deadpool found the Venom symbiote? Um, that was a great, just random kind of like, what if, but that was like... 10 not even 10 maybe 12 years ago now though like that's sure it's been a while (laughs) yeah and so the only i I don't mind those kinds of what ifs like the ones that piggyback off of events but 
I like the idea, and we're going to talk about what these books are going to be, but I like the idea of them being sort of their own thing, not really tied to anything else that you don't, need, you don't need any other information to jump into. Uh, so what if Spider-Man is going to be written by Jerry Conway with art by Diego? This is a weird last name. Uh, our Lord Tegui. Uh, it's a oh, tough Lord one. Te- yeah, Lord Tegui. Lord Lord I don't know. Two out of two Spanish guys can't pronounce it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and a cover by Pat Zercher. The questions That's are really asked, cool. what if Peter Parker wasn't the one bitten by the radioactive spider? What if the person who got bit was someone who didn't live by the mantra of with great power and great responsibility? What if Flash Thompson became Spider-Man? Dun, dun, dun. Hell yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Hell yes. And then oh, yes. we've got, what if magic number one, which will be written by Leah Williams with art really? by Felipe Andrade. Yeah. What's wrong with All that? All right. No, it's just it's just an interesting choice. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm hyped for this one. Yeah. Um, what if Ghost Rider number one? This one was cool. Uh, written by Sebastian Gurner with art by Casper Wingard. Uh, that's a name, Casper Wingard. Yeah, yeah. sounds like a fucking Wait, knight. <laughs> there's a J thrown in there somewhere, but I ignored it because I think no, that, totally, yeah, yeah. Uh, Castjaber. <laughs> no, in the, in the last Vizhgar. name. <laughs> Wingscar. <laughs> uh We've also got What If Thor, number one. Uh, this is going to be written by Ethan Sachs with art by Mikkel Bandini. Um, when a young Thor's father falls to the King of Giants, his life is forever changed. He's ripped from Asgard to be raised in a world of persistent winter, learning the brutal way of life in Jotunheim. Whoa, that's cool. Yep, but how does the runt of the giants, Loki, feel about his new stepbrother? So Ooh. it's like a cool twist on their yeah. history. I really like that one. That's really cool. <clears throat> and then the one that I enjoyed probably the most is What If X-Men number one? Yeah. This one's going to be written by Brian Edward Hill, who Marco and I are big fans of. Um, with art by Neil Edwards and Giannis Milan Milano Giannis. That's his last name. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so follow me because it's a weird concept. From the publisher that gave you Old Man Logan and House of M, witness the X Men as you've never imagined. Welcome to Escape E X E slash Escape, a digital wonderland of business and pleasure accessible to anyone with the social or monetary capital for the bio mods needed to log in. Or you can bypass all of that by being born carrying a .exe slash gene. That's but circumventing cool. the login regulations yeah. is exactly yeah, what dude. got the likes of Charles Xavier and his .exe slash men banned and driven underground in the first place. Free, mo- free roamers like you slash Domino and you slash Cable have taken every dirty job there is on Escape, but when a simple data scrubbing job turns bad, the life of Biomod magnet Eric Lenscher hangs in the balance, and with it, their very society. That sounds so weird and That's, cool. Yep, it's cool as fuck. Oh, every single one of those is something I'm interested in reading. Every yeah. one of them. That's yeah. awesome. Dude, I'm so excited by this news. Oh, I love What If. I think that's crazy. What If is like, I love What If in Elseworlds because they're epitome, they're the epitome of just like why comics are so cool. 
that there is like the history and just like such a cool toolbox and like what can you do when it doesn't fucking matter yeah. right like let's just tell the craziest fucking story we can and it doesn't matter because it's just for one issue so fuck it yeah the x-men are fucking cybernetic hackers or whatever that live in the internet okay fucking let's go whatever <laughs> yeah uh, i'll pay i'll pay four bucks for that let's let's go <laughs> This book sounds like Neuromancer to me, the William Gibson book that is very, very, very similar to The Matrix and came out like 20 years before or whatever. Um, It just gives me heavy vibes of that. Uh, And then there's also What If Punisher, number one, which I neglected to mention. Uh, So lots of cool stuff coming from Marvel in that respect, uh, and several of those I will be picking up. Um. Black Panther is getting a spinoff. Shuri will be getting her own comic book, uh, which seems long, long, long overdue. Yep. Uh, So obviously she was the standout character of the Black Panther film that dropped earlier this year. Surprised it Um, took them this long. Yeah. The book will be available in October 2018. And is going to focus on Shuri's journey in the face of a tragic event. Black Panther is lost in a mission in space, leaving Wakandans asking questions about who should lead in his absence. Maybe Shuri. (laughs) Uh, That's interesting. It's going to be. Yeah. So the art will be done by Leonardo Romero, and the the writer will be. Oh my god. (laughs) <laughs> Nini Okafor, I guess. Is is because um, Kale's not here? Is this a, is this the segment of the show where Sean mispronounces someone's name? Yeah, <laughs> and so she's a an award winning writer, a Nigerian American writer. Uh, writes a lot of sci fi stuff. Uh, she wrote a novel called Who Fears Death. Now, I want to talk about this book just a little bit, um, just because I got a little bit of an issue with this. First of all, they've already done this story. This has happened before, uh, and 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 a lot of stuff happens in comics that they that they've done before. But this just happened. Uh, Black Panther was gone from you know Wakanda, and Shuri became the queen of Wakanda, and then she died, and then she came back, and uh, that. When she came back was Black Panther that we read for the book club. That was... Check it out. Yeah. That was 2015, I think. And now they're telling the story of him leaving again and her potentially becoming the Queen of Wakanda again. That's... I don't like that at all. It's just like a little soon. It's. I, I think it's a lot soon. Yeah. And then the other issue that I have with this is that... The Shuri on the cover of the book is like nothing like what Shuri has been since she came back. She's been very weird, and I don't want to see them dismantle that character in favor of the one from the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, And I I wish, you know, I wish that that wasn't a legitimate concern because, like, it totally is. Right. Like, I love the idea of Shuri having her own book. Um, I like the idea of a story about her being the leader of Wakanda. But I think like what you're saying definitely makes sense. Like uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates run 
like dealt with that or the aftermath of that. And then also it was a major theme in his run as well. So it's like, that's been, I don't know, like you said, it's been done. And it's like, I feel like they could come up with something new for her to do that doesn't involve her like leading Wakanda, you know, like, why can't she just like she could go on an adventure that has nothing to do with Wakanda? Black Panther gets to do that all the time, you know. Yeah, like, um, that would probably be more interesting. Uh, Definitely. And who knows? You know, like maybe that's where it ends up going, right? Like maybe she's going to be the leader, and then it's going to, you know, get us to somewhere that is more interesting for her. That is new ground, and they don't want to spoil that. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the the criticisms that you're they are lobbying are definitely like. You know, they're they make sense. Like it's there are more things you can do with Shuri than <laughs> fucking fling Black Panther into space and make her in charge, you know? Yeah. There's a um I guess an interesting point you made about like not wanting it to be the MCU sort of version, because I don't know the version outside of the MCU. I'm actually in like a, a sort of different camp where it's like I would prefer they bring in the movie version of Shuri because I don't much care for the history of who Shuri was in the MC in like in, in the comics. I'd rather see what I, I sort of know and the thing that I had liked. Um that was it. Just like a interesting thought there. So what Marco's saying is he's, he's a fake ass fanboy. That's what he's trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> well I mean like I just I I don't I don't know that. You know, I, I just I don't know or have that familiarity. So it's just like yeah, I think a lot of people probably feel like you because Shuri is a character that I really like from the comics. Uh, but without question, the reason that she's popular right now is because of the movie. And so if you're going to get people to buy this book and if you're going to get people excited by, about this, then you need to tell, you need to use that version. It's just as simple as that. So you're right. Uh, that being said, I just hate to see you know, established characters warped due to something that was popular elsewhere. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, like we saw that with the guardians. So I don't know why you wouldn't see that here as well, especially because like comic Shuri isn't like a big enough deal in her own right to not get rewritten. Mm-hmm. You know, like if she had this massive audience of fans, maybe that would be something they wouldn't do. Yeah. But, uh, because, like, right, like, you look at Peter, like, they didn't, like, make Peter a teenager again because of Homecoming, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, yeah. Which is something that they absolutely, like, I wouldn't have necessarily been surprised. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how that one shakes out, I guess. But definitely interesting. Like, I think it's really cool um, that it's, like, another example of them, like, bringing in an established writer who's, like, new to comics because it worked really well with Coates. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Holding out hope it's good because I, I did think Shuri was a fun character. I, I'd like to see more of her. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Jessica Jones is getting a new series or I should say already has a new series. Yeah, just like fucking <laughs> ghost dropped it. <laughs> yep. Uh, last week we talked about Robert Kirkman and Scott Gimple's Die, Die, Die being kind of thrown out there, Beyonce style. And now Marvel has thrown Jessica Jones out there, Beyonce style. Pretty gangster, um, not gonna yeah. lie. <laughs> so, so the book uh, is out digitally. It's a new Jessica Jones title being written by Kelly Thompson with art by Mattia De Lewis. Um, 
and it's 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 out digital first and it's part of a new line of digital comics marvel dubbed marvel digital originals so the title is available now on comicsology and marvel unlimited with plans for a print edition after the series concludes the cool that's super interesting yeah the cool wrinkle is that brian michael bendis himself requested that Kelly Thompson be the one to replace him on Jessica Jones. That's cool. Yeah. It's really neat that they, like, chose to honor that, too. Um, I mean, shit, right? Like, this is... This is interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, The idea of Jessica Jones entering a new major stage as a character where she's not written by Brian Michael Bendis is, like, very, very intriguing. Yeah. Um, There's an attention on that character that there's never been before. She's, like, a marquee name... Um, and I like the idea of, um, like having, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that like Kelly Thompson is necessarily like a fucking superstar, but she's definitely like a a real rising star and like having someone like that on this character at this time is really cool. Um, and like, you know, don't get me wrong, right? Like obviously Brian Michael Bendis, uh, deserves all the credit in the world for creating Jessica Jones, but I'm interested in, in having uh, a woman tell her story you know um and like seeing what that brings to the character because as much as i really like alias i think um she definitely like struggled i think to find like a meaningful identity after her initial introduction you know um so i I like the idea of you know like maybe this is a a new era for jessica jones because i think she's a really cool character what do you think marco I don't know Alias and I don't really like I just I don't know this isn't uh, necessarily like you have no care yeah fair enough Uh, Jessica Jones is one of my favorite characters she was one of the characters that I associated with most uh, from the new Avengers Brian Bendis era Um, uh, I loved her role in that series Uh, granted she was Luke Cage's wife and, you know, the mother of their, you know, their, their daughter. Um, so some would argue that she had a marginalized role. I don't feel that way. Uh, I, I, I loved her in that book. And then I loved uh, when she sort of struck out and started doing the superhero thing again. So this is, a you know, it'll be a new era for sure. I think it's the first time that anyone other than Bendis has written her in a solo series. So um, this this could be this could be really cool. Um, there was just a little wrinkle that I did want to read. Um, uh, Nick Lowe had some things to say about why they're doing this new initiative. There's a huge audience out there, not just on the Netflix front, but on ABC, Freeform, Hulu, etc., that experienced these characters digitally. In fact, it was hard not to notice when characters like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist were some of our big, biggest sellers in the digital marketplace. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and good on them for being smart enough to look at the data, see that, and be like, hey, let's try this. Yeah. Um, because I think this is a really interesting development because it's something I haven't really thought about a lot that like maybe the path towards making digital comics more legitimate is to make there be comics that are worth reading that you can only read digitally because I can't think of many. Um, like uh, Brian K. Vaughn 
did uh what was it barrier um, barrier barrier no, 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 no. Before that, Private Eyes. That was it. Private Eyes was the one that was digital first. And then they eventually did the printing of it. But, um, or did they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, aside from that, I can't think of many notable, like, big comics that are like, oh, it's digital first or digital only. There are a few. Uh, Injustice 2 was That's released that one. way. Injustice One was released digitally first as well. It yeah. was on their website, right? Yeah. Like they did like a couple panels a week. Yep. Uh, there was an Iron Fist series by Car Andrews that was released that way. Um, th- th- there have been a few Marvel and DC have been testing the waters with that. Um, it's never been an initiative like this, though. This is yeah. This is pretty cool. I know DC did the. Um, they had a, a line, or was it just a? It might have just been one one book, but it was um, a comic primarily starring the female heroes, so Harley Quinn and Batgirl and stuff like that. that they had done um, that was digital first. Uh, so I mean, I'm happy to see it. The most interesting thing is that we've never heard the logic, and now we're hearing the logic of hey. These characters who are on Netflix that are popular in that space that don't necessarily translate into sales, or we think they don't, actually do really well digitally. And I like to see Marvel responding to that in kind. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's really cool, and it's smart, because I think like we've talked a lot about how the model of the comic book store really doesn't make sense. If you're into comics, it makes sense, but if you're a new reader, it's very intimidating. Um, and, and, I, and I think off-putting, too. Um, you know, like when you're already into comics, then it's a fun ritual. You get to go to the store, you pick up your books, you, you read them, you bag them, you board them. If you're just somebody who just like, oh, I really liked Jessica Jones and it would be really cool to read a Jessica Jones story. You don't necessarily want to deal with all that shit. And I, yeah, I think having, uh, again, having, uh, the ability to create a straight line between, I saw this thing. I like this character. I would like more of this. I can easily get more that's what they need to do like the more they can clear that pipeline for consumers the better off they're going to be and the better returns they're going to see on the investments they're making in these characters as ip because there's no reason that a jessica jones book shouldn't sell you know she's obviously a really popular character so idw will be publishing marvel kids comic books what is up with this it's so weird uh now What's interesting, and this is a very interesting story, uh, Dan Buckley, who is the publisher of Marvel, admitted the company wasn't that great at reaching kids. So they're going to be outsourcing the publishing of kids' comics to IDW. Uh, IDW does handle some Star Wars stuff for them as well. Uh and so they're going to be publishing new Spider-Man, Shuri, and Iron Man comics aimed at kids and middle grade readers. Uh, I think this is really, really, really cool. Um, there's a whole announcement. It basically just says what I already said. Uh, what do you guys make of this? We had, uh, I remember being, there was, there was a news article we had hit maybe 
three weeks back where they sort of uh i think it was i think it was marvel also announced that they were just aiming books at kids in general no it was the, the dc stuff like they being able to hit that market and bring in kids at a much younger level is going to definitely feed into the larger um as it'll feed into the funnel of the comics industry so i think this is a play that if marvel knows that they can't hit their a kid's audience and they know that they can elsewhere i think this is a smart super really smart move from a business perspective and then just in terms of like longevity like long term this is also a really good move as well so um yeah hats off i mean this is uh again more people into comics is a good thing yeah, uh, so I, I definitely agree with that. My my thoughts on it definitely come more from a place of um, concern might be the wrong word, but I guess I, I think this is an interesting partnership because I, I always thought it was weird that IDW published all ages Star Wars books um, well after the Marvel Star Wars acquisition. So it's obviously they had a relationship there. So like it wasn't when I heard this news, it wasn't like a thing of just like, I'm totally shocked by it, but I still don't quite understand the reasoning behind it. Like, it seems weird to me to outsource the work to IDW rather than to just figure out how to do it, you know, like internally, because Marvel is such a big company. Um, and it, it makes me wonder if they might buy IDW at it's, some point. It's probably more cost effective. Like, the, the reason you, you outsource in general is because it is more it cost efficient you're not you'd rather not waste your resources focusing on something that you already have you don't have a strength in it's easier to 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 pay somebody else to do that at probably like a lower rate than you would internally and you have to deal with the like the management of it you don't have to deal with like all of like the heavy lifting and then Um, you take them over and then you own all their ip and then and then you own idw (laughs) i guess i mean uh, that wouldn't be a bad move honestly I wouldn't. That's that's why I'm concerned. <laughs> it's like, oh, it makes too much sense. <laughs> There's an interesting wrinkle here. Uh, that is that John Barber recently became the editor-in-chief of IDW. And for those who are unaware, John Barber was an editor at Marvel in the mid to late 2000s and then jumped over and uh, he's done. He's done a bunch of things since then. Most recently, he writes the Transformers comics. Um, oh. So what you're telling me is this is an inside job. Basically. He worked at Marvel, and they sent him to rise through the ranks of IDW so that they could quietly take them over. Well, I'm wondering if I, I, obviously they already have a relationship with IDW, but I'm just wondering if his presence there, you know, obviously him uh, and CB Sabolski are familiar with each other. I'm wondering if that's accelerated their their partnership in any way. I mean, I I think that's a reasonable assumption, at least, you know, that like if this guy worked at Marvel, he must know some of the senior leadership there now. And, you know, or maybe he has, you know, warm feelings for Marvel because of his history there and sees an opportunity to help IDW grow because IDW, you know, is definitely like in a weird spot. Like they're big, but they're not they're not huge. So you could definitely see how this would positively affect their bottom line if they're publishing books about fucking Spider-Man and Star Wars, right? Like, um, So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of for Marvel, this is absolutely a good business move. Uh, trying to attract younger readers is definitely a net positive thing. Um, and it works, right? Like it worked for me. Uh, I don't know if you – do you guys remember the book um, 
uh, Spidey and the Mini Marvels. That was that when we were kids. It was like an all ages superhero book, and it was like the first comic I ever bought when I was like you know six or whatever, seven. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's a it's a proven strategy, and uh, you want to get them while they're young because that's how you get people like us, you know, uh, maybe not Marco, but people like me and Sean who are shills for this shit where it's like, well, I have an attachment in this that's rooted in happy memories from my childhood. So I'm with this ride or die, you know, like that's how it works. Um, so that's obviously a good thing for them and, uh, furthering their relationship with IDW, um, really is only a good thing for them because best case scenario for Marvel, they buy IDW and own more IP and have more publishing power or whatever, um, worst case scenario, you know, their IDW is never going to be a threat to Marvel. So like utilizing them for how they can helping IDW grow while not in any way posing a threat to your bottom line as a business is like win, win for everybody. Right. I like to see comics publishers work together. I don't think that they should be competing, especially not. DC or Marvel with anything other with with anything less than than one of those two. Yeah. I can understand why Marvel and DC might not want to collab, but not working with anybody else doesn't make sense to me because they're just not competition. They never will be, and uh, there's lots of good things that can come from those things like this. This is cool. Sure, I mean something that I think would be really cool would be if maybe we saw this lead to like some like IDW crossovers with Marvel properties. Like, I remember we used to see shit like that, like, in the 70s all the time, where they'd be like, oh, like, the, the Transformers crossover with, like, you know, the X-Men or something like that. And, like, that'd be fun. You know, like, just some one-offs, like... Didn't they have the uh, Batman and Ninja Turtles? They did. I was just going to bring that up. That uh, that series... Uh, Still going, the, right? Yeah, Isn't- it, well, the I think the, the second series just happened. It was, it's, yeah, Batman and the Ninja Turtles versus Bane and yeah whoever else. Because wasn't it like Batman and Ninja Turtles, Batman and Ninja Turtles two, and then they did the Bane one? I think, or was that, or was that, that Bane, Bane the second? One. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. So over at Hall H last night, last night being Friday night, uh, we got some huge news, huge, huge news uh, for Venom. We learned a lot about what's going to happen with uh, the Venom film. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they, they showed some, some cool stuff, uh, including the fact that Riz Ahmed is playing Riot. For those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Riot is one of the, uh, symbiotes that spawns from Venom, uh, and I guess is one of his kids, um, yeah, or at it's least one that's, of the, it's one of the five offshoots. One of the right? five, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was seen in the film. Not sure if which other ones they'll use. Uh, allegedly, it seems like Scream may have been involved uh, because the footage the footage shows a yellow symbiote and she's like yellow. She has yellow hair, I believe. And, and I think actually some of her body is yellow too. Um, but they didn't confirm what else we would we, we might see. They also didn't confirm Carnage. Um, 
Does that change anything for you, Pete, that they're going to include those symbiotes? No. Like, to it me, it's it, just... It makes it Oscar quality now, honestly. Yeah, right? No, it's it's just poisoning more of the well, man. Like, it's just like, uh, it's, it's just, it, it speaks to Venoming what this well. feels like to me, which is like, I've constantly been complaining about it because it feels like to, like they're making a Venom movie for the sake of making a Venom movie. You know, not because there's really a vision for a Venom movie there. And that sucks. Like, Venom's a really cool character. And, like, he's one of my favorite Spider-Man antagonists. Everybody knows fucking 70s and 80s Marvel is my shit. And, I, you know, I, I really like uh, that era of Spider-Man. And um, I like the fact that it was like, oh, it's a Venom movie. And then like, maybe there's Carnage or maybe there's the symbiotes or maybe there's this or maybe it's just like, how many of the like big greatest hits things are we going to try and hit in this movie just to be like, there's substance, there's substance, we swear. It's like, well, I think including Riot and, and potentially including the other five or the other of the five symbiotes um, actually makes this more appealing because it gives a physical threat to Venom, which, you know, if Carnage isn't in the movie, which I don't think he is in a real way, Venom, what's he going to do? Fight goons all day? Um, And the Life Foundation storyline goes hand in hand with those five symbiotes. So they're not, to me, they're not pulling from a bunch of different places. They're actually pulling from one place and telling the one story where this all goes together. Uh, so that part I like. Um, I just me, feel like it's so weird that the idea for me that like that the movie where he meets Venom and, and bonds with Venom is also going to be one where he teams up to fight like Venom's children. That just feels like a thing. And like you're, you're probably right that they're going to involve the Life Foundation in a way where it makes sense and it's not exactly the way it is in the books and like maybe they'll – they'll create a through line where it doesn't feel convoluted or tacked on or rushed for me. But that, that I think is the, like when, like when they were like, Oh, carnage is going to be the main villain. Right. I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like that's, it, it just like, that doesn't, it feels like a thing that isn't earned yet. You know, like I want, but that's to, not true. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I meant even dealing with other symbiotes feels like a thing that's not earned yet. Like I, I, I would rather like that one scene from the trailer where uh, Eddie's pinned up against the wall and he's talking to the symbiote. Like that's what I feel like this movie should be about, you know, is like them finding an understanding. And I have a hard time understanding why that makes sense. And like, why would the symbiote work with Brock to stop his children? You know, like, unless there's already been some growth and development between the two of them, you know, like, like, and, and these are all things they could answer. These are all things they, that they could make sense. But for, if you're asking me right now, like, what is my reaction to this? It's just like, I don't know that this assuages any of my fears. Could be good. I, the more I see from this movie, the more I get excited. And it's, I have, I, and like, I feel like that is everyone's opinion. And I feel exactly the opposite. The more they show of it to me, I'm, the more I'm just like, I'm going to have to sit through this. This is a thing I'm going to have to actually experience at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Pete, you know my pain. Yeah, I guess. 
Except like usually you're like, oh, I have to experience this because I don't care. It's like <laughs> I actually deeply care about this and I'm really upset because I think it's going to be bad. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I, ho- I hope you're wrong, too. I want this movie to be good. Uh, so this is another piece of massive news. Uh, Gail Simone is going to be taking over as the architect of the Catalyst Prime comic book universe. That Uh, is one of the most comic book sentences I've ever heard. I know. (laughs) So that's Lion Forge's superhero universe. And people seem to like those books. I've not read about or heard of these books before. Yeah, I've never heard of these until now. But they approached Gail Simone to do this and... Uh, there, you know, she she's excited and she's accepted this. Uh, Christopher Priest uh, was one of the founders of Lion Forge and is going to be coming oh. back um, for the tenth issue of the Astonisher ser- series. And Rodney Barnes, who most recently wrote Falcon, is writing Quinn Credible, uh, due out in November. So there's a lot of stuff happening over there, um, and I think. Gail Simone, she's been in an interesting place recently. She took a break from superhero comics to do some other kinds of stuff, some indie stuff, and now she's back in the fold. She's working with Sonya. Yeah, well, that she was doing alongside um, her superhero stuff. And oh, okay, I thought that was after the fact. No, um, and uh, so she's back with Plastic Man. She's back with Domino, and it looks like after that. She, I can't imagine, would still be working with the big two because she's going to be doing this. I don't know. That's interesting. To, like, I guess, right? Like, you, you, because, like, I don't know. It's one of those things where I wonder. I'd be interested to hear the specifics of the deal because I think, like, she's a big enough name that I could see them being like, "We got her. Like, we'll let her do whatever else she wants to do." Yeah, you yeah, know, I could see that. Like, it's Gail Simone, and, like, she agreed to be the architect of this superhero line that none of us who are comics enthusiasts have ever heard of. So it's, like, obviously that brings attention to them in a way that they haven't, and it gives them creative clout in a way that, you know, they probably didn't have before. So it's, like, I I don't know. Like, you're probably right, but I don't know that it's, like, a definite thing that's going to preclude her from working with Marvel and DC. Maybe not at, like, a monthly capacity, but, uh You know, I don't know like, how she's going to have the time, man. Uh, so there's an interview that she did with Comics Beat where she's asked essentially what her role is going to be. And she says, well, it's not really a common position, so we're still sculpting that. But I think it's a little bit pit crew, a little bit cheer- cheerleader, a little bit editor, and a lot of whatever imagination and human connection I can bring. We have some huge things that we'll be writing and others that we'll be directing. And then there's an important function of connecting the books in a way that gives the creators the most freedom the best possible playground. I am filling notebooks with ideas, things that would be almost impossible to do with other superhero universes as much as I love them. That's a dream. It's just a rare opportunity. So that reads to me like she's going to be the showrunner, the director, the writer of a sprawling universe with several titles that she's overseeing, some of which she's writing herself. That's a lot of work. Yeah, so I was just looking up Lion Forge, and uh, I'm only sort of familiar with them because they they have some uh, like some more graphic novels, so like super indie books. But um, 
Yeah, I was looking through the Catalyst Prime stuff that they announced, and there's a lot going on here. Um, so, yeah, I'm assuming this is going to be like a full time thing. Like, she's definitely not going to have the. Well, actually, it, it looks like it, there's a number of different writers. So I, I don't know. I, it, it looks like she's kind of orchestrating everything and keeping everything like in in line. I don't know that she's going to be writing stuff necessarily because a lot is. of these is she. Yeah, in the interview that she's asked, uh, "Will you be writing any of these projects?" And she says, "I can't really say too much right now." And then she goes on to say a little bit about a book that she's going to be working on. So she'll be on at least one title for sure. Okay, yeah, because they they have a a lot of uh, like a lot of uh, names here, um, but yeah, I don't know. This this is interesting. Like th- this is something that I would be interested in only because it's not the big two and it's something that's smaller. And I know the publisher because of some of the indie stuff that they do. Um, so I don't know. This, this is interesting. This is a really cool a really cool move and um, a really. A really nice step, I think, for for uh, Simone, you know, being the veteran that she is. I'm excited for her. I'm excited to see what comes of this. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. This is gonna sound weird. I don't know how much I really care about superheroes that aren't from the big two. I have never really encountered that before. Um, I've never read anything in the Valiant universe or anything like that. I don't really consider the Top Cow universe to be filled with superheroes per se. I look at those characters as, as different than that. Um, like Witchblade and, and, and the Darkness right, and those yeah. characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, So we'll see, right? I'll probably be there on the ground floor, uh, but whether or not it ultimately is appealing to me is going to probably just be based around how good the stories are. And that's, Mm. you know, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, So Chelsea Kane, who is a, a, a well-known book writer, novelist uh, who came into comics and uh, wrote the Mockingbird series. That was um, controversial for very bad reasons. Uh, just essentially, she got chased out of the industry, chased off Twitter, chased God off forbid social media. She implied that a character was a feminist. Oh boy! Yeah, because of uh, her feminist agenda, is coming back to comics with an even heavier emphasis on her feminist agenda with a book called Man Eaters. That is essentially a a a book about women who. Uh, <laughs> who turn into cats, violent, monstrous cats when they menstruate. Uh, That's and cool. Face severe government repression as a result. That's less cool. <laughs> uh, there is some art in the previews. Uh, Entertainment Weekly put this out. Um, I can't find the name of the artist in this uh, in this article. That's not good. It's not even in the first half of the article. So that goes to show you how much. Oh, I, uh, I got cares. it. Uh, Kate Nemzik. Nemzik. Oh, it was that the older one. Oh no, no, that was Mockingbird. Never mind. No right. respect. Yeah. Um, that's not cool. I don't like that. But um, 
I'll, I'll keep looking for that while I talk. Uh, the book looks good. The art is good. Um, and I like the idea that Chelsea Kane is unapologetically coming back and telling a story that matters to her. And that seems to be a reaction in some senses to uh, the whole drama that took place. Um I'm into it. Oh, I think it is the same artist because there's a, like towards the end, it's with many years, Kane has created an even more feminist comic this time around. She delves deep into the blessings and curses of the female body, which is illustrated hilariously by Nemsik. So I think it's the same team as Mockingbird. Okay, good. Glad That's to cool. hear it then. Uh, but yeah, Chelsea Kane's back. Don't have too much to say other than awesome. Yeah, the, the art's tight it looks uh there's there's one where you're sort of seeing like a transformation going yeah uh, that's pretty sick like the i, I i'm assuming it's gonna be some body horror stuff so i'm into this yeah it seems like it um even just from like the premise right uh yeah i love i love the cover with uh like there's like all the, the, pause. the paws raised up yeah. with like the yeah <laughs> it's it's good um but yeah i mean i i'm just really glad to see that she's coming back because um, I wouldn't blame her if she never did, you know? So I'm, I'm really excited uh, to see her get to do something. Um, you know, that's her story. And uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's really interesting. It's certainly a fun premise. So uh, we've learned more about what Netflix is going to do with the Millar world properties. This to me is big news. Netflix announced the first slate of film and TV projects that are going to be based on Mark Millar's stories. They're going to be starting with five, which are Empress, Huck, Sharky the Bounty Hunter, which is a new property, Jupiter's Legacy, and American Jesus. Pretty Uh, cool. Yeah. So Huck is going to be a movie. That's uh, going to be good. I like that. That's, Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, Huck is a story about a man who's kind of like, he's got superpowers, he's Superman type uh, in terms of his power set, but he's very childlike, uh, just in the sense that he's super nice and outgoing and does, he just does uh, the right thing all the time, and he lives in a neighborhood where everybody keeps his secret openly, or knowingly keeps his secret because he's so good to them. Uh, they want to protect him, and the story is what happens when that gets exposed. Uh, so Huck's a really, really good book. Empress is another one that they're going to be working on. That's going to be a film as well. Empress was one is one of the best Mark Millar uh, properties out. I've I never really, read really Empress. It. Yeah, it's 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 very very good. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy will be a TV series. I believe it's an eight episode series. Stephen S. DeKnight is going to be the showrunner. That's the guy Let's who did go. Daredevil season one. Let's uh, fucking go. He's directing the pilot for that one, so that's going to be tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's going to be uh, very, very good. Um, yeah, uh, that is going to be fucking sick. If you guys haven't read Jupiter's Legacy, it's really cool. That one I dropped off. You didn't get into it? Yeah, that's yeah. I I I don't know why, but I just uh, it all feeds into his circle as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're like companion series. 
Yeah. Uh, American Jesus. Never read that one either. To be, I haven't read it either. It's going to be a show. Um, and it's going to be a multilingual series. Uh, so still, there will be Spanish and English woven throughout. Uh, I heard it's a good series. Cool. The, yeah. I heard good things about it. I have too. I've heard really good good things about that. And then Sharky the Bounty Hunter is actually a a, a brand new series, um, and it's 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 crazy because it's gonna be a movie, uh, and then they're gonna make it into a comic. Hmm. So it's actually gonna be the reverse of what they normally do. Curiously absent from this is the story that's taking place right now, which is the Magic Order. Yep. I thought that would be one of the early picks to make a movie or a show out of, but they're not doing that, at least not yet. It it sort of looks like um, they're sort of testing, like doing like some, they, they're, they're trying to see, all right, what is it if we put out, you know, a comic? What is it if we put out a movie and then turn that into a comic? What if we make comic book movies, what if we make movies based off comic books? So like, it, it looks like they're testing grounds in a lot of different ways to sort of see what is, what works and what doesn't work and how they can sort of play into the market on both the comics front and the movie front. Um, so I don't know. I, I think this is, it's, it's really interesting to just, to just see it at even the planning stage of just like, or not the planning, but like they're in the middle of like executing it. Like to see this whole thing of just, you know, what Netflix is doing and the, the kind of cool things that they're trying out. Yeah. Yeah. I I am uh, I'm really happy that this is happening. I think Mark Millar, at least the properties that they announced right here, I'm glad it doesn't include any of the wacky, hyper violent stuff. It's more the the just the really good stories that he's yeah, told over yeah. the last few years. Yeah, it's most of his like more grounded stuff. Uh, yeah, grounded in the in with relation to the the super violent. Yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah. Well, Sean, I, I just, you telling me you don't believe that there's a small town child like Superman out there somewhere? Come on. No. Believe in magic, bro. <laughs> hey, the Magic Order, issue two, I don't know if you guys checked it out. Crazy good. So. Oh, when did it drop? Uh, this, this week. Uh, this week, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. I did not check so, that out. So, I'm gonna so, go pick so, that so up. good. Uh, did you read it, Marco? Uh, I picked it up. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it. Okay. There was stuff in there that I thought to myself. I really wish I had thought of that. That's cool. I, I really okay. wish I had thought of that. It's, That's it's really incredible. Cool. That's awesome. Um, I know you were you were not as high as on the first issue as I think the two of us were either. So, oh no, I or no, I, I really no, I liked think it. he. Yeah, I think maybe like maybe I'm thinking of Kale then. Yeah, like filler Kale. Might One been. of us I remember was like a little soft on it. So uh, we're we're nearing the end of this daunting list of news. Uh, over on the DC side of things, DC had a huge showing, has had a huge showing so far uh, at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and I want to start with their comics offerings, uh, and we're just going to barrel through these. Uh, we learned about the Shazam book that's going to be coming Boom. out from Jeff yes. Johns. Uh, we already talked about this on a prior episode of the show when uh, it was sort of leaked, I guess, that this would be happening, but this is the official announcement. It'll be Dale Eaglesham teaming up with Jeff Johns uh, in November to release this book. That's going to bring the focus back onto uh, the Shazam family. 
Uh, so Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., all those different characters. Um, and obviously, you know, Billy Batson, who is Some, <laughs> somewhere in the multiverse. Phil is very happy boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I figured he would be here to talk about it. But uh, apparently he couldn't show up for work today. Yeah. Like a cut. <laughs> Uh, so that's cool. Uh, we also learned more about uh, the three Jokers title that uh, Johns is working on. Uh, so for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Batman sat in the Mobius chair, asked it who the Joker really was, and it told him there were three or that there are three. So I guess this story uh, is the, the long-awaited follow-up that happened years years ago at this point. That was Justice League, right? That was Justice League uh, during the Dark Side War. So that uh-huh, was, like, uh-huh. gosh, like three years ago. I think so. Yeah, that. yeah. That yeah. was like like the the ninth or eighth volume or something like that. Yeah, it's like so weird that like they told us that so long ago, and I feel like it really hasn't like, I like not much is like materialized from that really, right? Nothing. Like, nothing. It's because uh, Jeff Johns got busy. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, if which you look one at- is in Doomsday Clock? That's my fucking question, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at the cover, uh, there's a couple things here. First of all, it's got the DC Black Label symbol on it, mm-hmm. so that's cool. Uh, weird though, because that I associate Black Label to mean out of continuity or continuity light, and this is a continuity heavy. Story, given that the reveal happened within continuity. Right. Uh, the other thing that you'll notice is that the, the of the three Jokers that are on the cover, they're all distinctly different. Now, uh, the one that's sitting down is, I think, the original Joker. Yeah, like classic. The one directly to his left is the Joker that killed Jason Todd. Yep. Or, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got him. a crowbar. Yep. Exactly. Like, totally. The one in the back, the way they're showcasing him, they're they're concealing a little bit who he is. But that's the Joker that from the Killing Joke. Yep. Uh so if they're trying to say that those are three different humans, that's very, very, very interesting. Yeah, and the idea that they've always been multiple people. Yeah. And I'm wondering how the hell they're going to pull that one off. Uh, John's had a little bit to say about this. He described it as a grounded emotional story about the mystery of the Joker. And it will focus on Bruce, Barbara, and Jason. Obviously, considering that these three versions of the Joker affected those particular characters in major ways. I've never really done a Batman story beyond Batman Earth 1. And if I'm going to tell a Batman story, I want it to be amazing and cool and something no one's ever seen before. This is a story about the shared pain between Bruce and Barbara and Jason and the way that some scars heal wrong and some heal right. I think of this as a Joker story. By the end of this series, Bruce and Joker will have a relationship that is completely different than the one they have now. There's a really fun scene where Joker drives this truck and he gets to the woods and he goes up to this cabin in the woods and there's another Joker standing there in the door wearing a Hawaiian shirt and Joker who and the Joker who drive who drove up says, That's my shirt. So that'll be dropping this winter. 
It's an interesting scene for Jeff Johns to give us a complete play-by-play of. I know. <laughs> this is It's all been building to this scene where Joker steals the other Joker's Hawaiian shirt. It's like, <laughs> the fuck are you talking about, Jeff Johns? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, and then we learned about the Batman and Joker comic, a team-up comic that's coming uh, in 2018, presumably. Uh, so... Mark Silvestri is going to be writing and drawing a new miniseries called Batman Joker Deadly Duo. Uh, Mark Silvestri is a beast. Mark Silvestri is the creator of the darkness. Uh, one of the founders of Image, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. If you haven't seen his art, you are missing out. He is very, very talented. It's a fucking titan, dude. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be coming out through the Black Label imprint. Nice. Uh, their alliance comes in response to an unknown enemy who is simultaneously tormenting the Joker from afar and torturing a kidnapped Commissioner Gordon. The series will be set outside traditional DC continuity. That's awesome. Uh, Sounds pretty cool, man. I want to point out, this is the kind of book that can happen when you've got an imprint like Black Label. Mark Silvestri isn't going to do this in regular continuity on a monthly schedule. Yeah. No. Why would he? Yeah. Um, and then are we going to talk about uh, about Aquaman as well? Or? Oh, yeah. Uh, so Kelly Sue DeConnick, right, is going to be on Aquaman. Yup. Yup. Uh, so the art will be done by Robson Rocha. And uh, DeConnick is actually the first female writer ever to work uh, solo on the Aquaman comic. Yeah, it's uh, that's like super interesting. Like it's it's just really crazy to see how like they're bringing like a a like triple A talent to all of their biggest titles right now. You know, like not I know where you're it. going. Let me. Oh let yeah, me, go, ahead, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um. So the other big announcement in that vein is that Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp are taking over Green Lantern. Um, So Morrison had this to say about what's going to be happening. Instead of the big epic 12-part stories, we're focusing down on the everyday life of a space cop. Basically, it's no more apocalypse-ending storylines. The basic concept is that Hal Jordan is like a space cop that patrols a sector of the universe where anything can happen. We've made it more like a police procedural. Uh, I love that idea. Yeah. He he goes on to say more things um, during his interview with IGN about exactly what this is going to be. Um, and he talks about the sort of version of how that they're bringing to the table. He's a loner and a drifter, and he's an unreconstructed man. It was nice to do that and to go a little bit old-fashioned with it. He doesn't belong here at all, you know? He's longing for the heavens and to be back up as a Green Lantern. We're doing Hal Jordan here. You know he's a good cop, but is he really a good guy? And we're looking into his relationships and how he deals with people. And also the fact that if you've got a job as a space cop, it's hard to be stuck on the planet Earth. He has other lives on other planets. We're going to be looking into a lot of things that I don't think we've ever seen a lot with Hal Jordan before. That's really cool. Uh, And I I was looking at some of the art, and it's 
on point like it is amazing um so Real sharp this is a this is a super cool series uh i'm definitely excited for it. i've been more recently especially as we've done like some of the book clubs and just done more reading in general like i'm turning into a, a pretty big gmail fan so uh yeah this is this is cool shit man yeah that first uh i guess what looks like a cover image um it's just gorgeous man yeah the uh the color work is really good yeah i, I, I like the premise of keeping him as a as a cop like i don't know much i don't know too much about him but uh i know that the the john's run was very much celebrated and sort of started that way yeah um so like uh yeah i'm down i was just gonna say i just like i just like stories like that you know like there's nothing wrong with like a big universe ending thing to stop once in a while but like i don't know like it gets a little like for me it it gets to a point where it's just kind of like there's a law of diminishing returns with stuff like that you know like you want those big events to feel like they're a big deal and if they're if if any character is constantly dealing with threats like that they lose their meaning so the idea of like a more back to basic story that is like more like a police procedural actually sounds really cool and the idea of like you know like maybe having to see him do some like more like detective kind of stuff of just like you know like solving crime like that sounds really exciting that seems like a really cool angle for for Hal and like the the having a life on other planets is also a very I think smart yeah. direction because it's like you, you, they said another thing like he's not always on earth so what does he do in those other worlds where you can sort of have those different imaginings and have those that different perspective of what Hal is like you know like there could be uh, yeah there could be a planet where he comes and he's like the overlord of something right but then there's another one where he's uh it's a desolate planet and he's all alone like it's just really cool inventive things that you can do within the sci-fi genre that i think uh morrison's gonna play into and into the character yeah i i agree with everything that you guys have said i think grant morrison uh one of the things that i appreciate most about what he does is he always tries to think about characters from a unique angle he tries to get at the core of what they are and then figure out okay well how can i tell this story in a way that hasn't been done yet uh green lantern surprisingly is a character he hasn't touched a ton and so that we're gonna get this that it's gonna have liam sharp involved um I, I, I there's nothing nothing to not be excited about when it comes seems to like a recipe for success right and Pete, you were going to make a point a little earlier that now I'd like you to get back to. It's just really interesting to see like how DC is like seemingly rebuilding like the the brand along or not along but around kind of the the Justice League like their core cast of characters like they have triple triple A writers on every one of these books and maybe you don't like all these writers but they're undeniably the biggest names in the industry. You know, um, like we've got uh, um, obviously we have Tom King on Batman. We've got Bendis on Superman. We'll have Kelly on Aquaman, uh, Gmo on, on Green Lantern. Um, and then uh, uh, um, Marco Justice on League. Cyborg. Oh, no, Scott Snyder. No, Scott uh, Snyder. Yeah. Scott Snyder on Justice League. And um, I mean, like who's left, right? Like well, Flash is being written by Joshua Williamson. Right. He's right. been crushing. He that's the best superhero comic out in my opinion. Uh, 
and he's not a big name, but he's really good. Uh, I think the only the only Justice League members well, there are a few Justice League members without titles. Martian Manhunter is a current member of the league. Uh, Hawk Hawk Girl is a current member of the league and doesn't have a title. But when you're looking at, I guess the film version of the Justice League, at that point, the only one without a title is um, Cyborg. Yeah, and I would I would just argue those are like the more recognizable characters. You know, like I think if you're somebody who just like doesn't even know shit about superheroes, like you probably have an idea of who. Su- Sorry, my cat just knocked something over. Uh, Superman, ba- Batman, Aquaman, Green Light. Like, you know, these are names that you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is. Uh... Oh, and then is 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 Ruckus on Wonder Woman? No, no, no. But He's on it now. G. Willow Wilson is coming to Wonder Woman. That's right. There we go. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough to beat, man. That's quite a lineup. And, uh, like you have to imagine these are all going to be good and well-received, you know? Um, I mean, maybe, maybe not bend us on Superman, but I know, I know you said that one, uh, 1001 was good, right? So 1001 hasn't come out yet, but Superman number one, Superman number one, that was the one, sorry. Um, 1001 comes out this week, right? Yes. Okay. And I think I think what's also interesting is these are writers who have a career outside of the big two. Like usually, what happens is they'll build up a career, like like a Matthew Rosenberg will build up his career at Marvel in the bounce, right? Uh, like like Ruck has done that, Hickman's done yeah. that, all that stuff. But these yeah. uh, they've brought in talent that has had that success already. That doesn't necessarily need to like leave like they can come in and tell their their superhero stories or they, they can come in and tell these stories um and there's no necessarily i mean there's always the possibility of a writer or artist leaving but they're not going to be the writers to leave for success elsewhere they're going to be the writers or creators to just continue to drive the success that they have, but through the vehicle of a, the one of the big two. Yeah, well, and I think something that was cool is like if you look at the article that we have uh, linked down below about the announcement um, with Kelly Sue, is like one of the things they talked about was that they were just like really compelled by her pitch, you know? And like the idea of just like, yeah, I mean, these are top tier creators and they have the clout to be able to come in and tell the story they want to tell and then probably move on to the next thing. But right. you got to imagine these are going to be great runs, you know? Um, Maybe some all-time greats, you know, from some of these people. That's awesome. That's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. And the fact that they're all happening at the same time is, like, crazy. By winter 2018, when all of these books have started, DC will have the greatest lineup of comic book creators assembled right now, right? Like, and within the last probably the this this decade. There's no, there's no place that has a better lineup than this. Not even Image. Because Tom King doesn't write over there. Snyder doesn't write over there. Um, you like, know, current, like, like current talent, you're saying. Yeah, current yeah. talent, yeah. yeah. Um, and this, to me, rivals what Marvel had in the late 2000s. This is crazy. This is unbelievable. And props to DC for being a place that creators like this want to do, want to tell their stories at. Yeah, yeah straight up. Um, they've obviously been really 
courting the right people and and you know um i think like giving them a reason to want to work with them you know it's like because you look at some of these creators um these aren't the only books that they're doing either you know like kelly sue hasn't worked with dc in a long time and she's doing this she's doing that wonder woman book as well so like obviously they're they're doing the right thing to court back that major talent that doesn't really have to work for them anymore you know like and that's that speaks to you know um the fact that they're creating a place where the top tier talent wants to go uh so the last book in the DC lineup that I wanted to bring up was actually a crossover series uh called The Witching Hour so The Witching Hour is going to be a crossover between Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark it starts in October it's a five part weekly series uh, and so it's more horror bent because it's obviously the Justice League Dark um, is involved. And uh, it's going to feature two 48-page one-shots. Yeah, yeah, that's really... Uh, Pete's holding up the, the promo image that they released. It's, it's of Wonder Woman, and it looks very good. It looks fucking epic. <laughs> yeah, that's hot. Uh, so James Tinian will be writing all the issues in this event. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the art for part one is done by Jesus Moreno and, um, Jesus. God. Oh, is it Jesus? I don't know. <laughs> I don't dude, that one. And George or Jorge spelled J O R G. Oh, I, I, screws I, me up. <laughs> There's no oh. accent. So it's like, uh, I nah. can't go either way. Yeah. I'll always play it the Spanish way though. That's fair. I, mean, I think Marino if I weren't isn't. if I weren't on a podcast right now, I would do the same thing. But so yeah, I, I wanted to bring this up just because it's you know it's Justice League Dark. Obviously, both of, both Marco and Pete uh, chose that book for their pals pulls. They're very excited. Uh, I'm also very excited. Uh, Wonder Woman, Zatanna, Detective Chim, Swamp Thing, and Man Bats, the creative uh, the the creative team. The team <laughs> on the book. I read that book. <laughs> <laughs> uh and we don't have we don't know a ton about what the story is gonna be for this event, but uh just wanted to preview it because I think it sounds cool. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Um in the article they say that they're ending it with like a double long issue and everything, so it seems like it's gonna be like a pretty big event, you know? Yeah. This is the kind of event I really like. Like I like when it's like a it's like a big thing, but it's for like this one book. You know, mm-hmm. like it's not like a oh, it's a it's every single book is touched by it. Like it's cool that it's just like it's gonna be like a Wonder Woman story. It's like cool. I actually really dislike events like this. Really? Uh, yeah, huh. I don't like events that take place over the course of X amount of weeks and come out weekly. I oh, think, okay. I mm. think uh, most of the time, in my experience, those books have bad art. Because the artists are rushed, or they're swapping artists every other issue. Um, No Justice was the most recent uh, attempt, and that was awful. Um, Man Man of Steel Steel was also released weekly, and we saw how that went with art that suffered. Uh, And the art of No Justice was either really bad or really good. Um, So typically, events like this don't work, in my experience. And I don't really think that um like to me if it's gonna be so small scale don't even necessarily call it an event what what's the you know why make it such a big deal if it's just gonna be a story that doesn't have sweeping implications 
so that it doesn't have sweeping implications, Sean. Right? Yeah. Like I, I like. I, I my hope is that it'll be like a more personal story. You know, like Wonder Woman will have something going on, and like her new fucking friends from the Dark Justice League are gonna have her back. And it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm down for something like that. You know? Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll certainly read it. Um, but uh, I, in my experience, these events don't work. All right, so uh, rounding out our Comic-Con coverage for today, we're going to talk about the DC Universe app. We've got a ton more information, a couple trailers, lots of good stuff coming from over there. Uh, So IGN was able to spend some time with the DC Universe app, and they were able to get a sort of rundown from... um, uh, Jim Lee and Dan Didio about the app and some more information about what it does. Uh, so, first of all, we got pricing information. It's going to be seven ninety nine a month, or a yearly membership fee of seventy five dollars a year. Uh, if you it's actually a pretty good deal, yeah. If you pre order uh, the annual membership pass at dcuniverse.com, You'll get three months free. And if you pre-order now between uh, over Comic-Con weekend, so now for us, if you're listening to this, it's too late. Um, you will be automatically entered for a chance to win two tickets to the U.S. premiere of Aquaman. So that's kind of oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. Now, uh, $8 a month, $7.99, $8 is the same price as the most plain, basic uh, subscription to Netflix. Uh, And then it's less than every other, basically every other subscription service out there. All the the other competitors, I guess. Less than Hulu, less than Prime, you know, less than all that. Uh, So, that's a big piece. And I want to stop there and get your guys' perspective on the $7.99. What do you guys think about that price? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a good deal. Um, to the extent that uh, your boy's just pre-ordering. Oh, Yo, they got him! They fucking got him! They got me. Uh, so, got him! Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm I'm pumped for it, uh, and I want to be able to you know join in on 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 the fun, guys. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely ready for it. Marco, can I get dibs on that extra ticket to go see Aquaman with you? Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll shoot a vlog about it. Let's go. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you, DC Universe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think that price is good. Um, I think I think for the content that they're going to be starting with, it's probably a little too much. Um, but I think if if it continues to build out in the way that I envision that it will, I could see that becoming a very attractive offer maybe two years from now, three years from now even. And, you know, that that might not sound good on the outset, but I think if DC is really committed to this platform, which they need to be if it's going to succeed, uh, they need to know that that's part of the game. That you can't just come out and be a new streaming service and immediately 
be competing with the big dogs, especially when they can only literally offer us things from the DC universe. You know, that's pretty limited amount of content. Um, so for me, if, if this does go the way of it is eventually like a competitor to like both your Netflixes and your Hulus and like a Marvel now, I think that's a fantastic price point. $8 a month for some level of DC comics and the backlog of DC animated film, television content, as well as original series. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Uh, and one that I think could actually be attractive to a sizable number of people. Um, the question is, does it last long enough for them to get to that point? Are there enough people who are initially interested in this, willing to shell out the money, and can sustain it long enough for it to actually become a platform that has like a viable amount of content? Is my yeah. question. Yeah, like that. That's the that's sort of the the angle that I'm looking at it from. Like I'm looking at it. I want to I want to get it now just because they have like the deal open and stuff, but long term what does that mean for me as a consumer for it? Like what is like what what am I to your point be what am I going to carry in 2 years if a lot of what they have said that they're that they've announced and a lot that they said they're going to do they don't deliver on potentially or it's maybe it's not quality like what does that mean for the future and what does that mean as a platform? That's going to be definitely be into question. I think off the on the onset people are going to be excited for it. Just because it uh, of the sort of the general buzz that it has, uh, people are going to be kind of wary. But definitely, the more important thing is the long term. Is what does it mean for it as an app and for as a place for people to go to? I don't think that eight dollars is the right price point. Uh, Too much. When, yeah, when we talked about this, I said I think it, I thought it needed to be closer to five dollars. Uh, now That'd that, be better. that might not be sustainable. I don't know what it takes for them to be able to justify, you know, even doing this, but, uh, given what they're launching with, I think you got to meet people where you're at, you know, you're, you're coming from a place of not having a ton of new stuff to offer me. So why should I give you the same price? Why should I give you the same amount of money? It would cost me to have a basic Netflix subscription. Uh, you gotta you gotta assume, right? Most people have one subscription to something, right? Yeah, at I'd least say one. One to two probably yeah. is the average. Yeah, that's the world we live in now. So monthly, you're spending X amount of money already. Is DC Universe right now that first one or that second one, or is it good enough to be your third? No, no, and no. In my opinion, not for not for eight dollars. I totally agree with you, Sean. And as somebody who like uh, I have uh, a Netflix subscription, a Hulu subscription, and I have access to Amazon Prime because I have a Prime subscription. Um, like I can't imagine myself spending eight dollars a month on this. You know, like I think the only way I would do that would be if there was also new comics on it. If I could get even if they were six months behind, whatever. Right. If they were promising me a constantly updating comic library, that'd be something I might be interested in. But on its face of just like, do you want to watch all these old DC shows and movies or whatever? And the Titans thing, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, no, it's not attractive to me at all. And I do think that that price point is is too high. Um, and like I said, I, I that is my belief for it at launch. 
And I, I assume that a lot of people are going to feel the same way of, this is all I'm getting for $8 a month? I don't know about that. Okay. Now let's stop there and talk a little bit about their offerings and how this thing works. So first we learned that Batman Beyond, Justice League, the animated series, and Batman the Brave and the Bold will be coming to the service at launch. Uh, and that they're trying to get more of their properties back. Batman Beyond and Justice League, the animated series in particular, were two major missing titles. So the fact that they're adding those is huge. I've always wanted to watch the Justice League television series uh, front to back, and I've never done it. I've, I've seen like random episodes, but I've not really just dug in with that. And then Batman Beyond is a classic, and I could watch that over and over again. So to me, those are two notches in their favor brave and the bold never seen it it's probably good um Not very good okay yeah i've heard good things so then reporters were uh able to watch a live demo uh where jim lee was there and rob Camshun, uh who's the vp for warner brothers digital um and they they got to see some cool stuff so one of the most unique things that that uh, the DC Universe offers is that you can read comics in a way that you've never really been able to read them before. So you can do it uh, page by page and panel by panel like Comixology, but you can also autoplay the comic, uh, which you, you, you use the settings to put it to cycle through each panel at a timed interval so that you can watch the story take place uh, similar to watching a movie or or, or, or anything Ooh, like that. That's that's potentially really attractive. From the IGN article, they say that DC has also remastered its backlist inventory in 4K and developed its own native comic reader that has been optimized for every platform. That's really nice. Uh, they went on to do a demonstration of what it looks like on a widescreen TV. Uh, and Campuchon admitted that being able to see the comic in 4K actually allowed him to notice small details he missed when reading the comic in its traditional format for the, force, for the first time. Jim Lee pointed out something that I thought was really interesting, which is that by being able to read the comic on a big screen, it can now be a communal experience. Right. That's what I was thinking when you said the thing about watching it like a movie. Like you could conceivably sit down, you know, like with somebody like if like instead of, um, you know, like if you want to show a comic to somebody. Right. And instead of being like, here, please read this, you know, like, like, let's let's sit down and experience this together and we can talk about it. You know, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's incredible. There there are so many times when I've had to explain what a comic is to somebody when I presumably with the DC universe could just show them like we could sit down and watch it together as opposed to me saying, Hey, look at this comic. You can't read it right now. It's a, a solitary experience for you to just sit here and read it in front of me. Let's watch it together. Yeah. Um, there are some other cool things about it. Uh, so, you know, there's a watch list, there's a queue, all the stuff you've come to expect. Um, what I thought was really uh, also interesting was that uh, they've got co something called collections, which is a curated 
grouping of different things around a similar theme. They give the example of a Joker collection that might have the most memorable Joker stories in the comics alongside the best episodes of his appearances in the animated series, Batman, Justice League, and then also the movies where he's appeared. I like that. That is brilliant. Great idea. That is absolutely brilliant. That's really cool. And you can you can imagine how what what that would do for people who've not read a comic book before to say, hey, whoa, the Joker's like this in the comics. This is awesome, you know. Or I want to see more of Batman in that way, you know. Batman Gothic, maybe they've never seen him like that before. You liked uh, Batman Begins, which had some horror elements. Do they ever do this with Batman in the comics? Here's Batman Gothic. Wow, that's so cool, right? Imagine that for a Halloween. Uh, you know curation yeah right right like yeah like that and that's another thing you think about right like oh halloween's coming around here's some of our all-time favorite horror stories like starring your favorite members of the justice league here's swamp thing here's you know like yeah like the this is such a good idea it just seems like it's i i wish that they had waited like i you know like, I, I know, like, they said that they're trying to get more rights and stuff. Like, like just wait. Like, why did we even, you know, like, why do we even know about this yet? You know? If they launch this, like, next year and they had all this stuff figured out, they have the rights to everything, they have this really solid backlog. Like, I feel like this is such a potentially, like, game-changing move. And I just don't know that it's going to work out. Well, uh, I think I think so far... They've hit the ground running with great ideas and some some content that I think people will be really interested in. Speaking of the content, let's talk about what everybody else is talking about, the trailers that we got. Um, actually, before we jump into the trailers, I did want to make mention of the fact that uh, they announced a Stargirl TV show that Jeff Johns will executive produce and write. There'll be a 13-episode scripted series. Greg Berlanti is going to produce as he's producing everything that they're doing here. Uh, the show will premiere in 2019 at some point on the DC Universe. Uh, Stargirl is a character created by Jeff Johns, so it should be really interesting to see what he brings to that character uh, on the uh, small screen. I've never heard of Stargirl before. Is she like... Was she, is she like a niche character? Or? I'm not really familiar with her myself. Uh, she is not a character that I think I've ever really come across. Um, so I think Phil would have would have known more. <laughs> Phil's just like, well, I mean, Stargirl was uh, released originally here, and she's been in this run, and uh, yeah, yeah, really, really premier character, you know. And, the reason uh, I yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no. In, in the article, it was uh, so it was created by she was created by Johns Lee Motor, um, and she made her debut in July nineteen ninety nine. Uh, Stars and Stripe number one. So there hmm. you go. As the Star Spangled Kid. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. So that's another series that is coming, and it'll be live action. So that's that's pretty cool. We've got that to look forward to. Uh, but now, yeah, let's get into the trailers. So, did you guys have the chance to watch the Justice League or Young Justice Outsiders trailer? That one I actually missed just because I don't, I, I don't really know any. Like, I've never seen Young Justice. I don't have any like connection to it. Marco, uh, th- that one I didn't see. No. Okay. Uh, so I'll talk about it briefly then. Um, I thought it was very, 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 very good. It's five minutes long. 
I struggled a little because I think that there was stuff in the trailer that was sort of recapping what had happened in the first two seasons. But because I've never seen one episode, I couldn't tell the difference between what was happening in the past and what was current. So I thought that was a poor presentation on that front. But that the, the trailer that they put together was clearly made for people who are familiar with the series, and I'm not that person. That being said, it looked phenomenal. If this is the kind of storytelling that this show has, given especially I can't tell the difference between what's new and old, so if this is what the show is like, this show is crazy and awesome. Dude, that's all I've heard. I've heard exclusively that it's like excellent and that like I, we're like missing out apparently. Maybe we should do like a book club of the show and watch seasons one and two or something. Let us know. Uh, yeah, it's it's it looked absolutely incredible. I love the characters that they have. Um, I, I just think this is gonna be great. And it's a real treat for people who are big fans of Young Justice to have this coming back. Um, and for all intents and purposes, with the same team that made the show so good in the first place. And seemingly now you don't have to worry about it getting canceled again, right? Right, exactly. It probably won't run its course. Yeah. And if this is all that the show gets, if The Outsiders is the last season, then fine. But if it, if it finds uh, an audience, if, if people flock to this uh, app because of this show, then it's definitely going to continue. I legitimately think this is the biggest feather they have in their cap, actually. Um, this is the IP that I think, like, at least in my, you know, uh, sphere of comics fans, as well as just the wider Twitterverse, um, people really like Young Justice. People give a shit about Young Justice. And they, like, petitioned for it to come back. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted Netflix to revive it. Like, it was a whole movement of people. And, like, if those people are willing to shell down eight bucks... Maybe they got themselves a backbone for this fucking thing, you know? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that because they've only shown, they've only had footage for two of their shows, and one of them, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, this looked fantastic across the board and already has a good uh, word of mouth because. It's a pre-existing show that people loved. So, if anything, this is what's going to bring people into the doors, probably. Content-wise. Uh, since you guys didn't see it, we'll just move on. But, like I said, look great. Now, let's talk about Titans. So, before, months before, we saw the uh, pictures that came out of the sh of uh, you know set set photos and they didn't look good but we said hey you know let's give it a shot maybe it's you out know, of context exactly it's out yeah. of context you know maybe it'll look better in live action I want to say it did look better in live action uh, but how much better and how you guys are feeling about the content I think is what's going to make or break this conversation. And a lot of people were not happy with what they saw. So what'd you guys make of this? I, uh, I, I gotta say, I'm pretty aligned with the majority on this one. Um, I just don't feel like it, uh, it just looks, it looks budget. 
you know? And there's a lot of, like, creative choices that I just don't quite understand. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me that turned me off is that it just seems very, like, edgy, you know? Like, very, very grimdark. Um, like that, and I know it's, like, a meme at this point now, days later, but the whole, like, fuck Batman. Like, it's just, like, okay. You know, it's like, I don't know, man. I just, I, uh, nothing about this stood out to me as, like, appealing or interesting. It, it felt very bland, very generic, and very, like, early 2000s. It looked like a Watchmen sort of, like, it had that sort of Watchmen-y vibe. But it was just, like, super dark. Uh, the costumes were, they, it wasn't that, like, a quality you would expect, um, I don't think. But I thought it was okay. Like, it wasn't you know egregious but it wasn't great uh yeah i think i'm actually in the minari in that i didn't hate this uh i think that the stuff with robin i liked uh i don't i so dick grayson has definitely had darker times in the comics he's not always this bright and sunny young man there have been plenty of instances where he is you know on the darker side and trying to find himself and this is clearly that dick grayson. Like the teen titans cartoon <laughs> the problem is that that dick grayson is not the dick grayson that people are most familiar with nor is it the dick grayson that most people want um the fuck batman thing that's like that's it's cheap shock value that, yeah that's that's over that's over the top. It's not to say you cannot do that, but don't put that in your trailer. I think, you know, if that's where the character's at, that's fine. Let us get familiar with that before you take it there, you know? In the context of the trailer, it feels very, like, it just it just feels so cheesy. Like, you know, like, it feels very much like, oh, like, this isn't your, your fucking dad superhero show. Fuck Batman. You know, it's like, oh, come on. You know, you can swear in comics. Whoa! It makes it makes him seem like a snotty kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I think the biggest problem that I had was actually the same problem that everybody else had with the set photos. Starfire looks really bad. Really bad. She looks. And her really, powers look like shit. Her powers are not fire powers in the comics. She does not have fire powers. She's an alien. What the hell is this? I don't. Like, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's racist to have a problem with the way Starfire looks. That's not true. Starfire in the comics is not black. I don't care what you think about diversity. She's supposed to be orange. She should be orange. Why is her hair, like, you know, uh, crumpled or frizzy or whatever? Yeah, it looks like it's, like, crimped. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like her hair. that's That's not even a... That's not even a style of hair that people really use anymore that went out of style a long time ago the the actress is naturally very beautiful she has a nice long head of hair i don't know why they're making her look this way but she doesn't look good she just doesn't look good yeah i'm with you man like there's there's no reason that she shouldn't be orange yeah uh gamora looks fantastic in Guardians of the Galaxy. If she was if she was not green, people would have a problem with that. If she if she was played by a white woman, 
and she wasn't green, people would have a problem with that. I guarantee you. I, I feel the same way about Starfire, right? Yeah. Like, it's absolutely not like a, a, you know, I have no problem with Starfire being played by a black woman, but she should be orange. Like, I, I actually always associated Starfire with blackness for some reason. I don't know why, but when I was a kid, I always thought she was, I knew she was orange, but I thought she was black. I don't know why. Huh. Um, so for her to be played by a black woman in my brain makes sense, but she still should be orange. This is weird. Yeah. Um, and just like and her costume just doesn't look good either. Like it, I don't it, even it, know what what that is. Like what is it supposed to be? Like yeah, it just it, it like it looks wrong and it looks very like Halloweeny. Like it, it reminds me of the Inhumans costumes where I'm like, this looks like Dime Star Halloween shit. Very even- like, bad. Like <laughs> like there was there was that moment where. They do this. They're coming from up top, and they're zooming in down. And she comes up with like the yeah like freezes for a second. I was like, oh, gross. All right. Yeah, and like the the stuff with her eyes too. I'm yeah, like, so that's odd. not the she's... right. It's not, and again, it's like it's just not the right color. You know, it's like just like look at some source material, you guys. Like, I, th- what? I, I, I think I think what they're what they're doing again is okay. Everyone wants like dark and edgy, and this is what we're gonna give them. It just it, it's almost becoming like a. a a house style for DC to just produce dark, gritty shit, uh, and then wonder why where they went wrong. It's like because it's like I don't think people do actually want that. Like there is a contingency, right? Like there is like those DCEU hardcores who like are convinced that those are all good movies, and that if you don't agree, you didn't get them, um, which is dumb. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think the vast majority of people are interested in in that kind of content right now. Like, I don't. I think that like similar to the hairstyle that they have for some reason stuck Starfire with that shit got kind of left in the rearview mirror in the early two thousands. Like, you know, I don't. I don't think the grim, dark, gritty, serious like stuff is really what people are looking for right now. You know, like especially like when you think about like I don't know, man. Like art is generally reflective of the times, right? And I feel like real life right now is is terrible, like for a lot of people, you know, like a lot of people look at the world as being in, or at least our country, right, as being in kind of a grim place. And I don't feel like we need art to remind us of that right now. Like that's well, you, you said it reflects it reflects the world. Sure, so. but I mean, like it's similar how in the Great Depression there was a boom in an interest in animation, right? Because like, well, it made you feel a little bit better. You know, and like, not to say that like you can't have serious art right now and that we don't need art that's reflective of real life, but maybe we don't need that from our superheroes. You know, like maybe, I, maybe like there is a place right now for like, I, I feel like there's a reason that the, that the Marvel stuff does resonate with people and why Wonder Woman resonated with people. Like Wonder Woman wasn't like silly and funny and poppy, but it wasn't grim and dark either. Like it was uplifting. Yeah, but this is, this is a, a, a well-worn conversation that seems to, like what you're saying skirts around the reality that anything that's quality is quality. This is not quality. The The tone of this is not the reason why it's bad. It could have this tone and it could look like a million dollars and we wouldn't be saying this right now. It just looks bad. Like, well, and it I, sounds bad. Too, and it sounds right? bad. And like, like you can <laughs> do something that's dark and gritty if you feel like that's what you need to do. And it can be done in a very uh, well-presented way with a lot of thought behind it. This is not that. 
You know, this looks like a fan film. A lot of in the in the mid two thousands, a lot of people were putting out little like trailers for fake movies that looked like this, that looked better than this. There's a Robin trailer on YouTube right now that looks better than this. Ismahawk, go check out Ismahawk's Nightwing series. It's great. Looks way better than this. I'll tell you that. It's a YouTube thing you can watch for free. Yeah. Uh, but to your point, man. I, yeah, that's very true because, like, you know, I mean, like, fucking. Jessica Jones and Daredevil and Punisher are all good examples of like how you can do grimdark superhero stories in this day and age and have them resonate with people. I think it's the edginess that I guess I'm more talking about, not the darkness, right? Like those stories are dark, but they're not like edgy. You know, they're not like, they don't feel like they're made to appeal to like 13 year old boys, you know? Yeah. Like, I I don't know. Like, so that's that's what BVS feels like to me. Right. It's like it feels like smashing action figures together. And, and uh, I don't I don't feel like like, I don't know. Go ahead. If it but if Batman versus Superman was done in a way that it was like a great movie. Right. Like if the script was was tight and everything else, the grim elements wouldn't be critiqued the way they are, because the Dark Knight is a dark movie. Right. Uh, and the Joker's like a fucking psychopath, you know, psycho, and doing horribleness, right? But it's it got over because it's great, you know. Um, with 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 Titans, like I love the Raven angle. I love what they seem to be doing with that character. I think that's cool, and I could see Robin as this leader of a misfit group of characters who are like ostracized because of whatever reason. That's all cool. I think that's awesome. And I don't care that that people want to see their Teen Titans be fun-loving and and whatever. You could do that. That's fine, too. You know, I I wouldn't have a problem with that. I wouldn't have a problem with anything if it's good. That's my only critique. Let it be – make it good, and I'll be there. This just doesn't look good. It's, like, stupid. Yeah, I don't don't think I can say anything better than what you said about how it looks like a trailer for a fan show. You know, like it just it doesn't it doesn't look like a it doesn't look like something that DC should be putting out. And it definitely doesn't look like something that they should be touting as one of the reasons to get in on their new streaming service, because it is not that is not working. And membership canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think. I I personally thought that the tone would be closer to something like Arrow on the CW, which is, uh, you know, it has its darker leanings, but um, I think that show doesn't, it's more, it's more in line with like the Dark Knight in terms of its tone where it's dark and it's gritty, but it's not over the top. Um, It's not, it doesn't feel fucking corny that it's dark, you know, like it's, it's just the tone. It's serious. It's not. It takes edgy. yeah, serious. Serious is a great word. Yeah, and that's fine. I I like serious superhero stories. I don't like edgy superhero stories. You know, it's like I I feel like that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, I just don't. I don't feel like that's what people are looking for right now. You know, like a superhero story that takes itself seriously. Great. Infinity War was that. You know, it wasn't edgy though. It was dark, but it wasn't it wasn't grim dark. You know. It wasn't like something that 13-year-old Thompson would doodle on his fucking history notebook. 
<laughs> yeah, so um, it's, it's uh, I think it's unfortunate that the thing that they promoted the most about the DC streaming service and the live action show that they're leading with uh, is getting this reaction. Because it, it recontextualizes everything else that they're doing now. Because it makes you go, well, all right, if this is what they're doing with Titans, what's Swamp Thing going to be like? You know? Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, what is he going to what is he going to look like? I mean, anything better than a man in a rubber suit. So it's, it's all we've ever gotten. So, uh, you know, the groundwork there, there's there's no high bar. <laughs> That's so I, I, honestly, hey man, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I mean we can leave it there. Uh, the DC Universe streaming app is is due out soon. They don't. They didn't give a release date. We reported uh, based on stuff that we had seen that it would be coming out sometime in August. Um, the hold on, I have the email here. This this thing that Marco just spent money on. <laughs> I love that you literally did that too. Oh no! It just said late. It just says fall twenty eighteen. Right. So. So not even in August, probably. Yeah. Um, and they're probably gonna want to see what the beta, how the beta goes. You know yep. what the feedback is. Um, before they, you know, nail down a release date. Uh, I think you know it's a mixed bag. The the stuff that they talked about and how the app presents itself, all great. For me, in my opinion. All that stuff is really cool. Uh, Young Justice looks great, but the sh- the, the flagship show, uh, from their own words, is Titans, and it don't look good. And it puts everything else in a weird spot. Titans was the main selling point for me to think about getting this, and now I don't really care to see it. So that's where I'm at. So... That's going to do it for this episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, We're going to be back next week with lots more uh, talking about San Diego Comic-Con. We've got Saturday and Sunday left over to see what happens and then report it to you guys next week on the show. Uh, But we want to hear what you guys have to say about all the stuff that's happened so far. What's your favorite announcement so far from San Diego Comic-Con? You can hit us up. And let us know. We've got tons of different ways that you can get access to us. We're on all pad podcast hosting platforms. We're at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us uh, to talk to us about whatever we talked about on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals by hitting our line at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Uh, and we're on YouTube where you can drop us a comment, leave us a like, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. I don't know that you've ever struggled this much to get through it. <laughs> Am I struggling? No, it's just like, you, it seemed like you paused and then you're like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, right, YouTube. Yeah, we're there. <laughs> no, it's because I was, I was uh, smiling uh, because Marco's smiling. Me? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's got an infectious grin, that boy. Look at him. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, definitely hit us up and let us know your thoughts about San Diego Comic-Con so far. And if there is anything that happened that you want to hear us talk about. Uh, And, uh, of course, like we said, we've got the Batman Gothic Book Club coming out on Friday. So check that out. It's going to be – it's good stuff. You guys are going to love it. Uh, It's it's going to simultaneously drop on audio and video as well this time around. So, Yep. So be there for that. 
And uh, let's do some plugs, Pete. Cool. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. Uh, remember, if you guys want to get some more content from us, you can catch me and Sean over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, uh, where we talk about video games, as you might guess. Uh, and uh, this week on the show, it's going to be Sean and Thompson holding down the fort uh, while Annie and I are away. So, um, yeah, I guess that last episode that the, just the two of them did went over so well, we're letting them do it again. So, <laughs> uh, so that should be fun. Go tune in for that. Uh, I'm also not going to be on our Let's Play show this week, Pals Play. So Thompson is going to be left to his own devices to play video games alone. So I can only imagine wow. that's going to be something. I, I can't wait to watch those episodes <laughs> without me. Uh, so go check that out. Show him some support. Give him some love. Um uh, that's over on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash the comics pals. You can go check that out. And then if you want to get, uh, just connected with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can come talk to me about San Diego Comic Con announcements. Ask me about American Idiot. Uh, whatever. Let's do it. Yeah. Marco. Wait, talk oh. to me about Octopath Traveler. I'm real hype on that game right now, and I don't get to talk to anybody about it for like two weeks. So come tweet at me, bro. <laughs> Marco, hit it. Uh, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I wanted to quickly shout out the winner by Carl Stevens. Uh, it has been a dope book. Um, oh yeah, you posted that on our Instagram. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really cool. It combines a lot of different kind of artistic styles. Uh, he even incorporates older comics into this larger narrative of like his life. It's sort of like an autobiography. Um, that's cool. And yeah, definitely go pick it up. It's really, really good. Um, you can find Phil at Cyborg Beepop. Talk to him about all the GMO stuff that came out because he very much likes to hear that. Um, and tell him that you don't care that Disney's buying out, you know, Fox because who cares about <laughs> mono- monopolies? <laughs> um, and, oh, do we do uh, Kale? Nope. Oh, Kale's I can at do Kale. Toto and Toto. Toto, nope, I just to, did it. Toto and Toe, T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I messed up the song. Yeah, I don't butchered the song. Yeah. Uh, that's not even about him. He sings it about Phil. That's, you're just, okay. <laughs> C- <laughs> oh, that's what I was saying. C-Y-P-O-R-G. <laughs> Kale is... Kale is at Toto and Toe. You can find his comics at panelscomics.com, I think. Panels, panels Publishing. Co- panels, panels Publishing. Panels, uh, panels Comics with an X on Twitter, I think. Go read oh his book. God. Just Google Kale Ward, Letty Wilson, From the Deep. It's a good book about kaijus in Scotland. He wrote it. Go fucking help him pay the bills because he's moving. Awesome. And Fuck. as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox. Let's talk about uh, anything that's happening during San Diego Comic Con. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care. See you next week. Bye.